This is the Floro Podcast, and I am Edgar Otraves. How's it going? On today's show, we have Emily and Not My Cousin Dan, and we're doing a review of The Last Blockbuster, which is a documentary you can find on Netflix. You know, it's, you know it was an opportunity for us to get a little nostalgic. Anyway, as you know, we have the FloralPodcast.com website where you can go and check out all the rest of our content along with our store so that you can get yourself a nice little mug, uh, throw pillow, maybe a t-shirt. Also, we are on Instagram as the Floro. I hope you guys like this one. This gave us a chance to get nostalgic and I, I, I hope that this movie does that for you as well. Anyway, here's the show. So this is Edgar Otraves, and welcome to another episode of the Flow Row Podcast. Today, I have Emily and not my cousin Dan on the show, and we're going to be talking about that new movie, or is it new? It's not really that new, is it? It's new came out 2020. Yeah, it came out 2020 at, towards the end, I think December. But yeah, we're but it just started getting real big on Netflix. I don't know if Netflix just added it, but it was like number two. Yeah, yes. they added it and they pushed it heavily. I think on the landing pages there. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about that movie of uh, the documentary, The Last Blockbuster, directed by Taylor Morden. And basically, the star of the movie is Sandy Harding, who is the owner. Of the last blockbuster, and is I should the owner, or is she like the manager? She wasn't the owner. She wasn't the, the owner. Okay. Lived in Seattle, um, not Seattle. Yes, Seattle. She was yeah. She was the I operator. Know. I'm not sure. Yeah. Name name the town. The town they're in. Bend, Oregon. Thank oh yeah, Bend, Bend, Bend Oregon. Oregon. Yes. It was totally escaping me. So she was the manager, but the owners of the store actually lived in that same town with her. Which, by the way, Bend, Oregon sounds like a pretty cool place that's kind of frozen in time that I might like to visit sometime. Most of Oregon is pretty cool uh, be- because it has that that sort of West Coast sensibility, but a little bit maybe toned down. Like you've got Portland, which is basically like San Francisco, well, Berkeley North, um, little grungier. And then, but, but like Oregon is like kind of like down to earth hippies. It's a great place. It's awesome. It's very alternative. And I, and I feel like I've been to Portland. I haven't been to Ben, but now I kind of want to visit Ben. It's definitely got that vibe of, yeah, it's got a hippy dippy vibe. It's a little bit of a slower pace of life than I'd like to experience. But at the same time, it's kind of nice to visit that world. I think it's just, yeah, I'd love that, to go to Bend. Yeah. It's just amazing that there would be a place that a, a rental can, a DVD rental could still exist in this time. Like with, with Netflix and other things and like that. I'm forced to probably. wonder, just like they they spent a lot of time kind of wondering about this in the documentary too. I'm forced to wonder if the reason it works is the novelty of it mm-hmm. anymore. The novelty of it. Well, yeah. I don't know about you guys. Like I was kind of an early adopter of the of streaming. Mm-hmm. I haven't I was about to say I haven't watched hard media in probably a decade, but that's not true. Just last week, the boy and I watched all of the Studio Ghibli movies. 
Oh, wow. And we, and, and we have those on, on Blu-ray and DVD. So it, I watched hard media like two weeks ago, but before that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it had been 10 years since I used a DVD or Blu-ray. Yeah. HBO Max. I don't know. Like what, what stops me is always like, so Harry Potter, right. Shows up on my streaming and it's like, Oh, three 99 to rent this movie. And I'm like, do I act incredibly lazy and pay three 99 for something I own on DVD and Blu-ray? Yeah. <laughs> like I legitimately would have to go. It's not all in the same place. They're all in different places. So I would have to find the movie. I would have to hook up the Blu-ray player, which is currently sitting behind everything, but it's not even plugged in. So I'm like, yeah. maybe I just bite the bullet and pay three 99. <laughs> I, yeah. I have to admit that I have done that. I have rented movies online that I know for a fact I own on hard copy. But again, just people because... watch television live, right? People yeah. will watch a show if, or a movie if it's on TV. So it's not really much different from that, except uh, you might be paying for it, which is kind of ridiculous. But that's the yeah. laziness we live in with streaming today. Yeah. 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 I, have, I have a DVD player. It's the PlayStation 3, and I have that in the basement. So if like, I want to watch a DVD or a Blu-ray, I have to go watch it in the basement with, you know, and so like, I don't mind doing shameful. that. It's so shameful. Well, no, I mean, I don't mind doing that. It's just that the, the, the nice couch is in the, up, <laughs> is in the, in the living room, you know, the basement has oh, see, the cold leathery like, couch. Not- my, my basement is where like the 70 inch TV and the sound system and the fireplace and the comfy chairs, you know, like I have, I, I set up a room down there just for this. Just I for don't know if movies. that's an option for Edgar because Edgar, then the kids would take over your, your private room then. Right. And make that their own. They basically do that no matter where I go. <laughs> There's no escaping them. Uh, I, the, the weight room is in the basement and I have this, the, the giant screen with, with the projector hooked up to the PlayStation. And if I go down there, they'll run down there with me. And I mean, for the most part, I don't care. But it's just like, yeah, there's no privacy. There's no, pri- you know, they're, they're bound to walk in here eventually. You do every single podcast. They come in here at least three, four times to see if I'm on a podcast. And I'm like, I'm on a podcast. Dad's, dad's really <laughs> lying. And he's just really needs time alone from away from the children. Dad's going to lock himself in the office for a while. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It, it's just, it's just funny. It's just, there's no escaping. There's no so, place. Someday, someday your kids are going to be like, remember when dad used to do that podcast? <laughs> remember, remember when dad had dreams? <laughs> <laughs> those dreams are dead yes um i have to say i want to mention that so when netflix um used to have the male dvds right and this documentary talks a little bit about i remember very vividly blockbuster trying to get into that game too but i had already started with netflix and you had your queue mine was always 100 movies in my list i was always ready for the next thing I was such an early adopter of that format and then streaming with Netflix after that, that I am like, why did I not buy stock in this? Because I was like using this and people are like, what do you mean male DVDs? And this is, but this point I've been doing it for six months. People didn't even know what I was talking about. And I was like, oh, you got to get with Netflix. And I'm like, man, I really missed out there, didn't I? As did. Yeah. Yeah. Although Blockbuster, I mean, Blockbuster started up their mail service 
not that long after Netflix did. Was it 2004 or five? Something like that. I don't know for sure. Because they started up their their mail-in service and they had a much deeper cat. They they actually, I don't want to say they beat Netflix to the punch in terms of the online streaming, but they had a much, much deeper catalog. Like Blockbuster, their online service and their mail service was like really competitive. People don't remember that, but it was. Yeah. I don't remember and they this actually kind of because make... I had what I wanted from Netflix. I remember finding like right. the most yeah. bizarre yeah. niche like documentaries and whatnot. So I had everything I needed. Yeah. So that's the only reason I didn't switch to Blockbuster because I'd already started with Netflix. Right. And and I had, you know, I, I was early in on Netflix and I I remember it clearly. They had the online streaming and they barely talked about it. It was like, yeah, we have this, but we know nobody's going to use it. Because at that time, broadband wasn't really fast enough to support that unless you you had like really high-end broadband. And, uh, you know, I used to steal broadband from my neighbors, so I, you know, totally got <laughs> in on that. Well, I think um, what happened with Blockbuster, it wasn't so much that Netflix like outplayed them or whatever. It was the, the, huge, no. the huge debt that the company that bought them had well yeah and they they talk about that in the in the documentary is that's what wiped out blockbuster yeah blockbuster didn't get wiped out because of a bad business model or because they weren't competitive to netflix they were competitive to netflix they got wiped out because they they literally got bought by viacom as a debt dumpster yeah they they got bought by viacom so that Viacom could fund their debt through Blockbuster, which was like the only profitable part of the company at that point. And it worked for a while. And so, mm-hmm. so when the quote unquote streaming wars started, it it became a situation where, it, you know, Blockbuster was carrying so much debt on the books that they just they just didn't have the wherewithal to survive when they got spun off as their own company, it was, it was like on purpose. Almost it was, it was almost on purpose when Viacom spun them off as their own, did a blockbuster IPO and spun them off as their own separate company. It was, it was really underhanded because it was like, we're going to spin off blockbuster. We're going to shove all of our debt off onto them. Stupid people are going to buy the stock and it won't be our problem anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what happened. You know, at one point, I when I saw Blockbuster start dipping, I saw that the stocks were really low, and I bought stock in Blockbuster, hoping I did. I spent like I I think I got like a a lot a a whole ton of shares for like a dollar or something a piece. Yeah, it was something ridiculous. I did that. I think I did that with Borders when Borders hit like (laughs) it was like they'll come back. Somebody's gonna buy them. They'll come back. That was a huge. You know what? Let's let's talk about this a little bit. So I'm a big reader as well as a big movie watcher. So like when my local Borders closed, I was super bummed because I would just browse and chill there and talk to other book lovers. And yeah, naturally, that's what you did with movies at Blockbuster, right? And Mm. that whole sense of community they talk about both in the Ben location, the last Blockbuster, and in general, as these talking heads, some good, some bad, 
kind of are nostalgic about this experience. I realized, yeah, there are times I've gone to Blockbuster when I wasn't hanging out with friends or picking out a movie with a boyfriend and I was by myself and I would see someone picking a movie and I'd be like, oh, did you see that one yet? And they'd see what I'd picked up and you'd have this natural discussion. And it was a community of people like like minded like you. And I miss that more than anything else. Yeah, there there was definitely something about that with not just Blockbuster, but like video stores in general, you know, Um and I kind of do miss that, um, but not enough that I would start watching hard media again. Streaming, it's just too easy. It's too easy. Yeah, you know? I would never go back to to renting. I mean, if there was something that I had to, that I can only find on hard media, then maybe. And there are, I guess there are things that that Blockbuster in Oregon carries, but... What I really wanted more than anything, especially, and, and I think I told you guys before, is just like, I wanted to work at Blockbuster. No, you didn't. No, I can but, tell you, you didn't. No, I can I, tell you. I, I, well, hold on. Here's the funny thing. When I was watching this movie. Dreams. He had so many dreams. Like, yes. <laughs> They're all getting squashed. But yeah, no, like one of the, one of the things that actually happened, and I don't realize that I had this job, but I... I basically had the blockbuster job, except it was it was more uh, a film nerdy, right? Because I actually worked at the film cage at Columbia College. Oh. So at the school at the film cage, that's why I worked. I, and that I shouldn't say the film cage. I should I should, I should say I, I worked in the animation film cage. So if you needed certain type of equipment for animation or whatever. You had to come to my cage and me and my <laughs> friend. You were the gatekeeper. We were the gatekeepers. And there was one time this asshole kid, uh, uh, I was going to work actually. And he got on the elevator and he got on an elevator for like, for, for one stop, right? I had to go to the seventh floor and I was, and, and he would, he, he got in the elevator. He waited for the elevator, got in the elevator, hit number two. And I'm thinking, dude, like, what the fuck? You know, there's, <laughs> there's like 15 people in this. We all, we all have, we all have basically are going to stop all the way up and you stop on number two, just walk up the stairs. You know, and I said, you should have just taken the stairs is what I really told him. Those people are the worst. They're all going to get the look. Oh yeah. And so he walks out and, and says, fuck you, you, this and that. Right. And I'm like, all right, well, whatever. Fuck that kid. Right. An hour later, he shows up at the film cage and he looked at me like he just ate shit. And he he was just like, can I get can I get this? No, you can't have nothing. No. Sorry, we're all out. We're all out. You just you just missed the last one. But what are those? That's nothing. That's that's that doesn't work. That's mine. That's mine. Edgar, Edgar after a year of people driving crazy in the pandemic, my worst fear is giving the finger to someone and then seeing them in some sort of other situation in my life. Like, because I'm always worried they're going to know it's me and be like, you're the bitch that gave you the finger. And I'll be like. Yeah, and you don't know how to drive. <laughs> <laughs> but you always want to avoid that. Like right now, this is not an issue for us, but it you usually want to avoid that, like getting into altercations on the train or downtown because you might see that person in your office building. So I don't yeah. want to mess up that stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I don't understand why that kid would do something like that. Cause I mean, I you know, we go to the same school. We're in the same school. You're gonna see me again, right? But you know, he just yeah. So wait, wait, wait. You gave him the film? No, 
No, like he, I, there's no way I could not. So yeah, I gave it wasn't the film that he came looking for. He he came for an animation uh, 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 disc. So like he needed equipment to draw on, and and I had it, and so he had to come to me. But he he looked very sorry. He was just like. Ugh. He like what's he me. doing what's he doing today can we go beat him up yeah. no I, I don't know what he's doing but uh I, i'll tell you this i that was like the last time i saw that kid man i i feel like in that situation <laughs> he never left his house again <laughs> in that situation especially if i had you know when i was that age yeah if i was that kid i probably would have doubled down and be like hey fuck face i need this you know, I just would have like gone so far deeper. Like I already dug my hole. I'm going to keep digging. <laughs> Dan, no. that sounds about right for you. But the average person probably would have reacted the way this kid did. Like, oh shit, I guess I have to be kind of nice now. Yeah, he was like, I could tell he was very sorry. And I looked down on him because I had the film cage. I so, was in- so what you were hoping for, Edgar, is that you would wield all of the film power over movies in the world if you worked at a blockbuster. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not a tyrant. Uh, that that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't what I was aspiring to. I wanted to be uh, Quentin Tarantino. I wanted to be able to be in the in the in the blockbuster store and just watch movies and get paid for it and get a film education without having to go. To film school that's- well i can tell you i can tell you that's not how it works <laughs> i know dan, so I, I, dan, used to, dan, I used please to please enlighten us dan enlighten us <laughs> i used to work at a blockbuster <gasps> and, <laughs> and some some interesting things about working at a blockbuster well okay so here's the background people don't seem to realize it because they have very short memories and they, a lot of people still can't get over, you know, the 2008 financial collapse. What people forget very conveniently is that in 2001, we were also in a financial collapse situation. We were, we were already in a recession and then September 11th happened and that destroyed the economy. I mean, it destroyed, it was a horrible traumatic event, but it destroyed the economy, it destroyed jobs, everything. And I graduated from college in 2001. And the best job that I could get was Blockbuster Video. <laughs> and so. Oh my God. So wait, you worked at Blockbuster out of college? Yes, it was my, it was my second job after college. Wow. The first job. Wow. So God, I don't want to take up. I always say this. I don't want to take up all the time. Right, but now you. But draw, so I graduated. Here, I gra- now you got to get us. I graduated from college in two thousand in May of two thousand one, and I graduated from a good school. You know, I graduated from. I I had what many people would consider an impressive diploma. You know, I had a good GPA from Bradley University. You know, real kind of almost boutique, high end, private university. You know. Um, I've hung out at Bradley. I don't know if I would call it boutique what I did in there, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what part of Bradley were you hanging out at then? <laughs> it's, uh, it's Peoria. Peoria, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. There's nothing good about Peoria. Um, but uh, so anyway, I graduated and, you know, I it was like, oh, I'm going to get a job. And I can't even tell you the number of jobs I applied for. I mean, literally thousands. I it was like a job for me. I took it very seriously. Like I would get up in the morning, 
I'd sit there. I would, I would find, look for job listings. I would apply for jobs. I applied for everything. I applied to drive the Wiener mobile, you know? And, uh, that actually I, sounds I, like a dream job. I didn't get any, that did to me at the time. Uh, and, or it was, sorry, it wasn't the Wiener mobile. It was the Hershey's kiss mobile. Oh, um, that's not the same, Dan. Chocolate versus wiener is very different thing. But the Hershey's Kissmobile has a special device that sits on top of the exhaust pipe and they fill it with cocoa so that the exhaust smells like chocolate. No, it smells it, like chocolate wherever it goes. Does it really? Okay. Yes. Yes. Get out of here. Or you here. could just hang out in downtown Chicago near Right, because there's River that District. chocolate company. Yeah. So oh, anyway. but I want to say quickly, Dan, I remember being in that same situation. Um, yep. I graduated later than you, but the recession was still affecting jobs at that point. And yep. I literally was freelancing and walking dogs to start after graduating with my degree because I just couldn't find anything else. Yeah. Yeah. This and, is around the time of the dot com bomb, too. So, yeah, I was out yep. of work and I had already been working as a developer at that. Time. Yeah, because I mean, it was the dot com bomb that drove us into a recession in the first place. And then mm -hmm. September 11th just made everything worse. And anyway, I mean, I, I don't even know how many jobs I interviewed for. I don't, I can't even calculate the number of jobs I applied for. And then sometime around like August, uh, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like I was, I was living in my parents' basement cause I had nowhere to go. Yeah. And, uh, sometime around August, one day, my dad came clanking through the empty beer cans that were on the floor of my little area. And he woke me up and I was on the sofa and he woke me up and he was just staring down at me and he threw a newspaper on my face and he said, the lumberyard's hiring, go get a job. Nice. So I went and I got a job at a lumberyard and I worked there for about a week before Blockbuster called me back and said, do you want to be an assistant manager? And wow. it was like, it was like $2 more an hour. And at that point it was like, yes, I will be an assistant manager at Blockbuster. <laughs> As opposed to, but I learned how to drive a forklift in the meantime. So that was great. Uh, but so I went and I was, I was the assistant manager at Blockbuster and a couple of interesting things about Blockbuster at that point in time, when they're making your name tag, they asked me, they asked me, what would you prefer? Would you prefer a name tag that says ASST period manager? So like assistant abbreviated manager. Or you can have a name tag that says ass man, your choice. What? So I got one of each. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, I don't, you I don't know, know what why. we used to do. Uh, I worked at the Fairmont hotel. Um, another job I took because I was, uh, laid off from the tribune actually. Um, I worked at the Fairmont hotel with no experience in the hotel industry and we used to swap different old name tags so that people wouldn't know our names because sometimes you would deal with really upset yeah. upset clientele, whether that oh. was at the concierge desk or the front desk. And I another similarity with Cindy. working at a blockbuster. So yeah. you were Cindy. Yeah. Cindy, Cindy, yeah. or I sometimes forget what it said because someone would say my name and I'd be like, oh shit, I'm Cindy today. You know, I don't know. <laughs> but ask ass man. Ass period man period. Yeah. Uh, so things, things you should know about working at Blockbuster, you never get to just sit back and watch movies. That just doesn't happen. There's one TV there. There was one TV at the store mm -hmm. right at the entrance 
which made no point, made no sense to sit there. There was a small TV in the kids section that you would have, you know, Bob the Builder on loop, right? Um, and it, yeah, I mean, you got as many free rentals as you wanted and you were expected to use them. Like it was, you were expected to become a movie fiend and know everything that there was to know about every movie that's on the shelf. That's interesting. And I mean, there were some cool things about it, but, and I, I really, even then I didn't understand where this came from. Nobody ever wants to go to a blockbuster. The customers hated it, hated it. They hated being there. They were mad the moment that they walked in the door and, and dealing with a pleasant customer literally never happened. (laughs) Literally not even once. The best, the best that could ever happen was dealing with an indifferent customer, but they were always pissed. And it was almost always about late fees. Always. And the thing, the thing that it drove me nuts with the late fees, because it's like, I I can tell you, I worked there. We didn't just make that shit up. You know, we didn't just like automatically tack late fees on. And we went to ridiculous great lengths to make sure that if you got a late fee, it was because the movie was not just late, but like really late. First of all, first of all, we automatically gave like a grace period of 24 hours beyond the, the return time. Like that automatically, never happened. That never automatically happened. it was like, it was like, yeah, I know it's due on, on this day but we won't assess a late fee for like another 24 hours as long as we get it. You know, we didn't advertise that fact, but that's how we did it. Right. There was automatically like an extra 24 hours of buffer on there. And then that even expanded to now it's like 36 hours because we would, we would expand it to like noon the the day after the midnight when it's due. And everybody who got a late fee, well, I returned it on time. And, you know, and it got to a point where like, I just got so fucking tired, so fucking tired because, you know, <clears throat> you're expected to be the bulldog. You're expected to, you know, give the best possible customer service ever. And at the same time, never credit anything ever. Right. Yeah. And the then you know they'd ask for the manager and the manager would come over and just immediately be like yeah okay we'll credit that off you know oh shit. and so which so makes like you job- look like the biggest douchebag right. i hate mm-hmm. that shit and and you know what it's really frustrating too because um so throughout most of my college experience i dated someone who worked at blockbuster and so i never had late fees but that being said I understand like all the things you're saying. It was not a walk in the park for any of these people that worked there. And like so many jobs where people don't like their job, my ex really bonded with those people. And I'm still friends with a bunch of those people still today because you have to bond with the people at your job when you hate your job or you've got customers that literally come in and they're not eyes open in wonderment. Like they're going to Disney world. They're like, I need to come here and fight late fees and my kid wants this movie, so I have to rent another one, and this fucking sucks. Like, there's yeah. no positivity coming into the no, block. It's, it's like they're, they're walking in the door ready for a fight, you know? That's, that's what they want. They, they, they have steam to blow off for some reason. And, like, the number of times that it – I mean, it's just – you're arguing with me about a $5 late fee. You have $5. 
five dollars. You, you, this is your it hill might as you're well gonna have die been on. Fifty dollars to some of these people, the way mm-hmm. they felt about it. And Edgar, um, before we start shitting all over Blockbuster, which we're kind of <laughs> doing, I will say that I do. I, since I didn't work there, I still had this sense of magic about visiting my boyfriend there, and ooh, let's pick out a movie. I mean, those are the pieces of nostalgia from this documentary that I connected with. But at the same time you need to let it go at a point. And I felt like some people were so attached. It was almost like disconcerting. Yeah, I agree. Right. I agree. It got there. There's it's, you know, it's kind of past it's time. It's past it. You know, it's great that that one blockbuster is still going. Yeah. But I find it very odd that there are people from all over the country going to this blockbuster to kind of check it out. Even the world, weren't there a someone from Spain or somewhere? Yeah, yeah, was there? Yeah, yeah. that was so weird. Is I'm like, people making have- like pilgrimages to to this last blockbuster, and it it just struck me as so bizarre because I I so vividly and it's been twenty some years, you know, I I vividly remember. Do they even have what it was like? Like nobody wanted to go to blockbuster. It was worse than going to the DMV. Nobody wanted to be there. They resented the fact that that that's where they were going to get the movies. That all they would, every single customer would come in, and all they would talk about is, I, I, "I'm not coming here anymore. I'm going to Hollywood Video." And then they'd be back <laughs> six days later. You they'd know? be and, back. <laughs> and do, do they even have blockbusters in other countries? I, they, yeah, it was. Just, they, uh, they yeah, really? they did. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! Yeah, I and, so I grew up with a a store, literally a video store across the alley from my house, which was a independently run before Blockbuster knocked all of these out, a uh, little shop with the, as they call it, the swinging doors to the adult section in the little <laughs> bathroom. My yeah. brother would go peek in and my mom would have to yell at him. And then after that, Blockbuster was really everywhere. I was a snob. I wouldn't go to Hollywood video. Although I did have a lot of friends who worked at a local Lion Video. Do you remember? Lion? I remember Lion Video. Yeah. yeah. So because that was like a lot of our high school and grade school friends that worked there, we would stop in there and had accounts there. But Blockbuster was just generally where you went after a certain point because there were no mom and pop shops anymore. Right. Yep. And, and there's a familiarity like, there too, right? When they talk about the blue and the yellow and the yeah. smell, I get it. I've been a kid and a teenager, but I feel like there's a point where you go, this is like if all the Jewel Oscos closed and people started taking right. pictures to Jewel. Like, I don't yeah. need to do that. Yeah. And, no, and that's let's not, not a good one. Yeah. Let's not, you know, pull any punches. Blockbuster was a fucking evil corporation. Yeah. They literally did wipe out the independent movie store just the entire market i mean they 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 were as close as you could get to being legally defined as a monopoly and they probably should have faced antitrust action at some point um they 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 were not a a ethical company they did wipe out a lot of independent businesses. Well, there was that one example in the movie that said, or, you know, you can become a blockbuster or yeah. you can, or you will open one right across the street. I'm like, well, yeah, that is that you this know? store, the store in Bend, Oregon started out as a Pacific video 
And then it basically became a blockbuster out of necessity. You know, either either we put you out of business or or you become a franchise. Yeah. And but it remained basically kind of like a mom and pop, even though it was yeah. a blockbuster. And, and somehow people are nostalgic about this story. You know, like that's the story. That's the literally the story that the and documentary tells. And that too, right? There's still that mom, the mom who's the manager. Mm-hmm. She is the family mom. She has mommed all the boys and girls who grew up and worked at this blockbuster. So I feel like when you have that sense of community there, that's the strength. And that would have existed whether it was a mom and pop shop, a Pacific video, a Hollywood video, what have you. Agreed. But the reason I think like it endures to some degree, again, is Bend is a special place. Portland is a special place. Oregon yeah. is a weird special place. That would not happen in Chicago. There would not be the last standing blockbuster in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah. It wouldn't happen. No, absolutely not. And again, like I'm kind of hung up on it now, but. Like when Blockbuster went out of business, people literally celebrated. When when Blockbuster went went bankrupt and closed the grand majority of their stores, people were like cheering and rooting for it. And I now, vaguely remember that sentiment. Yeah. Now there's one left in Bend, Oregon, and people are making pilgrimages to it. Well, I mean, I didn't throw a party when they when they you know when, when they like lost because I mean I had stock in the, in the stupid <laughs> company. I wanted them to flourish, so I wasn't like I was like, damn, that was, dollar you spent, man. Well, I had I, I think I got like sixty shares, so I spent like yeah. sixty bucks or right. something. But it like it it's crazy because realistically, if they hadn't have if Viacom hadn't have uh, spun them off as a separate company. Uh, pub, uh, publicly traded company. I'm willing to bet Blockbuster would would have either eventually absorbed Netflix or put Netflix out of business. Yeah. So, what are your thoughts on that? That piece where they talk a bit about the business side of things and how Blockbuster kind of missed out on things. What are your thoughts on that? Because I don't even really. If that was a possibility for them to take over Netflix, then they made the biggest fucking mistake ever. But I don't know if yeah. everybody who was speaking was really being as accurate and portraying that story well, as it be. you have to also remember the context of the time i mean subscriber model businesses were not the dominant form of transactions at that point netflix yeah. was on the cutting edge of that netflix was even before subscriber as a service uh software as a service subscription you know net it, it's hard to kind of remember that because that's how everything works now Everything is a subscriber model. Everything we do, every kind of business that we participate in is somehow, some way, a subscriber model. Even nonprofit, I mean, they want you to be a monthly yeah. sustainer. They don't want you to be a one-time donator. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and in 2004, 2005, that was not stand it was non-standard. People weren't, you know, hip to it. You know, people weren't ready to jump on and be like, yes, I will pay $5 a month or whatever the Netflix fee was. Netflix was not like a juggernaut at the time, you know? Um, and, and so, I'm, you know, that shapes the conversation a little bit is that at the time I could, I could totally see in 2001 being in the executive uh, boardroom at, at Blockbuster and seeing this 
subscribe by mail DVD service and be be like, why would anybody do that? They could just come to our store and get it. You know, yeah. they can get it the same day as opposed. And it was also also remember like this was before Prime. You know, where if you went and you were a Netflix subscriber and you wanted your, you had to plan it out because it's not like you would order it and then it would be there the next day. You would order it and then a week later you would get the DVD. So you kind of like had to plan out, you know, that's where the whole, like, it still exists on the Netflix platform. Like you can set your queue. Oh, but they got, well, that's rid, how of, Net- but they got rid of your full list mm-hmm. when they changed their website. Very similar right. to like GeoCities and other things like AOL AIM shutting down. I'm like, I would have liked mm-hmm. to retrieve some things from there, but you just all up and shut down and didn't let me know. And I had a queue of 100 movies I was looking very forward to watching that is no longer there. But yeah, I, I just feel but- like with me at that time, even the streaming aspect that you talked about earlier, how they adapted or adopted that early. I still would get the DVDs because I liked watching that on my television. Right. And I was like, well, I'd have to do all these things to make it work on my TV at the time. And I don't want to watch it on a small computer screen. So I'll just, you know, have them send me the DVDs. I was kind of hesitant to do the streaming because sometimes, right. like you mentioned with Broadway band internet, sometimes the internet would go a little funky in the movie when it uh, streamed yeah. properly. So I'm like, well, this is a waste of my time. But yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I, uh, this is the part where I admit that I have multiple Netflix DVDs in my house that I never returned. <laughs> <laughs> they got lost yeah. in the mail, guys. They got lost in the mail. Yeah. yeah. Terrible. That and really, like, that really strange Canadian film I couldn't find anywhere else for any price point. It just, it just got lost in the mail. Yeah. Weird. Well, I mean, technology but, but, yeah, just, was definitely a part of it, right? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like the internet. We didn't have we don't have broadband like we do now. It, it's it's no it's much more stable. We can get a much broader broadband pipe, yeah. right? We can get more 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 down and more up at the same time. But there is yeah. also like uh, the the subscription thing wasn't such an uh, it was it was new, but it was not uncommon. Uh, it you know because we had Napster by then. Right. Mm-hmm. Napster oh, yeah. stopped being the pirating software that it was, and it became a streaming service for music. And so it's, but still really, really new, right? At that time. So, yeah, I agree with Dan. Like, I can see why the, 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 the leadership at Blockbuster thinking, uh, no, we're not gonna, we're not gonna bother with you guys, you know? But also, I, uh, at least from what, I was gathering from the documentary, it seems like there was a point where Blockbuster, even having not bought uh, Netflix, could have overpowered them anyway. But that Oh, and they kind of were. Yeah. I mean, when when they when they finally got on board and launched their streaming service and launched their their movie by mail service, their library was immediately, instantaneously, like Gigantic. ten times deeper. Yes, I had no idea that that was the case at all. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I do remember that uh, vaguely, but it was it it didn't last long because they didn't let because shortly thereafter they they went, you know. Well, but again, like try to remember the context of the time. Like online streaming, yeah, didn't become really a player until like 2010. 
I think that they also probably weren't the most forward thinking company. They've been dealing in the same business for decades. Why change anything up on something that's a risk? They had a super straightforward business model and it worked, you know, It, it worked really well. And why change it? And Netflix came and, and they kind of changed the game a little and it, it took blockbuster too long to kind of adapt to it. But once they decided to adapt to it, it was like they did it overnight, you yeah. know? And again, it's just, it's, it's a matter of, of context. It's it, it online streaming becoming kind of the dominant way that people consume their media. I mean, that wasn't really until like, probably 2014 or even 2015 and hard to predict. There was no way to predict Mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. I, you know, I want to ask you guys just, I want to talk more about the documentary specifically and some of the interesting talking heads, but I, I want to know your local blockbuster. What is it now? Cause mine that I grew up going to is now a tanning salon. Just mine's a FedEx. The one that I used it's to been go mul- to. multiple things, but it, it it turned into a FedEx. Yeah, the one that I used to go to was in Chicago, and it was on North and Ashland. And I, I think it's nothing. I think it's just an empty, empty blockbuster. Yeah. It's oh, really kind of sad. sad. And that's that's actually <laughs> something worth considering: is when nine thousand stores overnight go out of business, how much blight does that create? Because it's it's an interesting question. How many of those nine thousand stores are still nothing? My local store was nothing for years and years, and mm-hmm. then eventually someone bought it, and within the last year, maybe it became a sushi restaurant. Um, yeah, they've switched a couple of times with different things. So there's a tanning salon, but then the the other one is a, a sushi restaurant. And I, you know, it's just I watched that building for a long time. I dr- drive past the one. So there was my childhood one and then the one my boyfriend worked at. And my boy the one my boyfriend worked at is near where I live now. And I drive past it for years and I was like, eh, still nothing, still nothing. And that's and we're talking a pretty good size store. That's a good bit of real estate right there. Uh yep. so it's a sushi and- house now? So the one closer to me is a sushi house and I've been there and it's very good. It was very strange walking in there. For the first <laughs> it was because it's the doors where I remember where the drop box was and where I would greet people and like where the back room was where we'd like illegally hang out since I didn't work there. And it was just, <laughs> there is, but you know what? There is some of that with everything, right? Like if anything you used to go to, the building exists on the outside as it was you kind of are going to walk in there and be like, so what's this all about? <laughs> yeah. It's gotta be but, weird. Yeah. <laughs> Do you see so, you, you? Yeah. When you were ordering dinner, were you like, I, I will have an Ikura and uh two taco and a little bit of the, those little sea urchin things and a copy of Koyanis Katsi, please. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. And can you please play that on the tiny TV screen in the corner, the left corner of the building? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> I remember though, um, when American Idol, which I never got into, but that first season, I feel like a lot of people watched it who had downtime because it was a new show. And my boyfriend and his co-workers were watching it on the screen at Blockbuster while they were working and people would literally stop in the store on their way out and be watching the people perform. So 
there was some of those kind of bonding moments, but how much bonding can you do over a TV that's this big? Like there's not. And I mean, it's the thing there's, there's only so much bonding that's going to happen between the employees at a blockbuster because you're always busy. Believe it or not, you're always, you know, shuttling movies or checking movies in from the Dropbox or rewinding the movies that people didn't rewind or, or whatever, you know, there's, there's not a lot of downtime when, when you're working and you're constantly like understaffed, right? Like you, you get, and, and here's this, here's the staff structure at, at a blockbuster, at least my blockbuster. I need to just say, given that you had a college degree, you were probably like ahead of the pack because when I think of blockbuster, I think of lots of high school kids who don't know what the fuck they're doing. Remember, remember the time. Okay. Remember the time it was the store manager who was an older gentleman who had been like a blockbuster career guy and had bounced around from all these different blockbuster stores. <laughs> and then there were the, the two assistant managers, me and a guy named Mike, who also was in the exact same boat that I was college degree, couldn't find a job. And then under us, there were a couple of like community college kids and high school kids. Right. And so it was like me between me and Mike, both of us were there 40 hours a week. The store manager was probably there 60 or 70 hours a week. And then you had a whole bunch of kids who were there between 20 and 25 hours a week. And most of the time they were just there to be registered jockeys on Friday and Saturday night, you know, where the, the nights where you've got all six registers running lines to the back of the store, you know, um, but for the most part, like during the regular operating hours, you're, you're not just sitting around. There's, there's tons of stuff to be doing. You got to keep the store clean. I, I, it's not, it was definitely not a glamorous job and add to it. Not only is it a place where every customer that walks in the door is automatically surly on top of that. Okay. So you've got two guys, one of me, 22 years old, the other guy, 23 years old who are doing jobs that we resent because both of us are sitting, sitting on like <laughs> a freshly minted piece of paper that at that point, if I could have gone and asked for a refund for, I would have, Yeah, you know? Um, and this is the best that we can do. That's you know? rough, man. That is so fucking rough. You see like the, and like people, people get all worked up about like late fees and it's like, do you honestly think I give a shit? Do you think I'm fighting with you because of the principle of the thing? I'm fighting with you because it's my job. Jesus. I would love if someone had gotten like a PhD. Uh, Obviously when you have a PhD, it's not hard to find work, but getting a PhD and then took a job at Blockbuster and then would just tell the surly customers like, listen, I'm more educated than you are. I'm just working this job to put you in your place. One of the many shit jobs that I had coming up because like, like the dot-com bomb, like we were talking about, there was a good four years there before I got back into the web development Mm -hmm. uh, uh, career track. And uh, I had this horrible job, this fucking horrible job. I was lugging boxes onto trailers. Mm -hmm. um, And at one point, uh, they they threw me in the cooler and this cooler it was all kind of not the managed the best but uh, they had they had they had meat in a cooler that was not uh, that was that should have been colder right so in order to make this 
meat colder, they put ice on top of it. Well, and so, but they had this stuff. So now on, it's soggy boxes. They're soggy boxes, but it, all this water is dripping everywhere. And they put this stuff on racks. So I had to like constantly go under racks that was dripping stuff on me. There was horrible, horrible job. I had horrible acne during this time too because of it. But uh, at this job, there is, was one dude who I can't remember his name, but he was, he was great. He was always high. He was like 60 years old. He had a PhD in paleontology. Yep. Of course he did. <laughs> and that's yep. the job he got, man. No, <laughs> like he, he was lugging I, boxes with my dumb ass. You could either be uh, Sam Neill in Jurassic Park or you could be dripped on by soggy <laughs> meat water. Yes. I have, I have one friend who has a PhD in paleontology. And I mean, technically, it's a PhD in invertebrate uh, biology, but her specialty was paleontology. And did she work at another... Blockbuster? <laughs> no, no. But I mean, it, it took her forever to get any kind of work. Oh, I mean, that's, that's a very, very specific degree. And, and Edgar and I have talked in the past about school and like schools like Columbia and DePaul, at least at that point really wanted to make sure you dabbled in lots of different areas. If you were in journalism or creative, mm. anything, just yeah. because you had a better chance of getting a job once you did leave school. There were more yeah. commercial money. Well, no, that's when I, I, you know, I got my degree in public relations and I started off getting a degree in journalism and two things happened. Uh, one, I kind of realized that I, I, I love to write. I don't like journalistic style writing. I, I just don't like it. And also Literally every single one of my professors said, if you get a degree in public relations, you're basically getting a double degree in journalism and business, and that will be, you you it will be easier for you to find a job. Not true. At uh, at not, yeah, as I'm working <laughs> at, at Blockbuster. Blockbuster. And and let me just give you the career arc here. Number one, don't want to spoil any surprises. I have never in a day in my life worked in public relations. Number two career arc after college lumberyard blockbuster abbott labs as a contractor doing data entry which the eventually the the lab failed an fda inspection and i lost that job Oof. on the way home from that job from the day that i lost that job i used to drive by an ice rink every day and i thought to myself in the moment i've always wanted to drive a zamboni i'm going to go put a job application <laughs> And I told, I did it as a stress reliever, right? It was like, I just got fired. I'm going to blow this off. So I went in and I filled out the job application, like a joke, right? Like, like it, it desired position. I put queen of France. Get out of here. Like, wait, wait, did seriously. you, had you worked the forklift at this point yet? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you had that skill going for you anyways. So. I thought and, and I put that job. on the job application. So <laughs> I thought I put, the Zamboni I put job there. was before, before college. I didn't realize it was after no. college. No, dude. It took me forever to get a quote unquote real job after <laughs> college. So I, I, uh, so I went and I filled out the job. Like I, like I said, I put queen of France, how much, well, like what's your desired, uh, rate of pay i put one and a half billion dollars but i'm willing to negotiate <laughs> you know and then i and then like in the extra notes in the extra notes section i was like i seriously i wrote in there like i learned how to drive a forklift last week i don't know if that's anything like a zamboni 
And like two days later, the manager called me up and he was like, look, I don't know if you were seriously looking for a job or not, but I laughed at your application (laughs) and we have, we have an ice arena, part-time ice arena supervisor job open. And I was like, yeah, I'll come in. And I like, I interviewed for the guy and, and and the guy was like, basically like, you're, you're like a hundred percent too overqualified to be this job. You're going to be the oldest person working here by like five years. <laughs> and, you know, but do you want it? And, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I'll, t- I'll take it. And, and so I, I did that job for uh, five years. Oh, wow. Did they pay, did they pay you 1.5 billion or whatever you No, had? they did not. But oh. it, it was one of those funny circumstances where I took the job within like three months. I was like the full-time operations manager of the place. And, oh, wow. And so it was kind of a real, it didn't pay very well, but it was a, a real job and I had insurance and all that. And I kind of, that I loved that I got, like, there was a lot of bonding between me and my employees and the other people who worked there. And it wasn't a chain. It was like a locally owned place. There was a huge, it was an ice rink and a huge video arcade, video game arcade. It was a fun place to work. And then, you know, eventually at a certain point, there's the little alarm that goes off inside your head. Like I spent like $90,000 on a fancy piece of paper. And I, I probably, I'm probably aging out from being able to get those entry level jobs. And maybe I should anyway. So I worked there. I eventually worked at another ice rink (laughs) and, uh, and then I, I started working for, um, a trade organization for foundries. I actually worked at a foundry for a week. That was part of the job. You had to fly out and work at a foundry where, you know, they, they melt metal and pour it. That would be an awful job. I'm just saying like you, you, you would die in that. Job. I'd rather deal with late fees than be welding or melding yeah. anything. No. And, and so from there I went from there, I, so, so what anyway, and from, from there I went to work with Edgar and uh which is the greatest day of your life (laughs) for forever but yeah it it took me a long long time it was a long long road after college to actually land in like a professional degreed type of position i had a very similar experience and that can be life-changing but it also builds up a lot of character in you too because i see so many people graduate and here's the, here's the truth of the matter. I knew people who were athletes, full scholarship athletes at my school mm-hmm. who were ushered into their first job at a financial company or what have you. And they weren't bright enough to have that job, but they got it anyway. And I had to fight tooth and nail to get a job even within my degree. So I feel like I learned how to be a Jack or Jane of all trades at that point, because I'm like, listen, I have Mm -hmm. to be able to know how to do a lot of stuff. And again, we talked a little bit ahead of the podcast about personality and whatnot. And I think that being able to be adaptable and a team player and being just intelligent and having a degree behind you takes you a far way, a long way, um, rather than, you know, having stuff handed to you on a silver platter. When you have to fight for stuff, you care about it more. Well, not only that, but you, when you fight for stuff, and stuff goes wrong, you still, you know how to fight now. You know yeah. how, what it takes to get what? back to where you were and what it and, looks like and how hard it is. Absolutely. Whereas a guy who had everything handed to him or or, you know, or a girl who had every, mm-hmm. everything handed to him, they don't know what that fight's like. And they got to learn. At that point, 
depending on when it happens, it could be very difficult for them to learn that. Yeah. Well, and especially when, if they lose that job. Like, what do you do sure. next? You know, do you right. know another guy who's going to get you in somewhere else? Because every job I've ever had has been on my resume and my interview. I have never gotten a job because of someone I knew, which I know is mm-hmm. a great way, you know, to get a job. And plenty of people have done it and that's fine. But that's not the way I roll. And I'm proud of that because it's never been because I know Uncle Joe. It's because, hey, I have a degree in the qualifications. I'm a likable person and I'm right for the job. Simple yeah. as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think having to fight for every job, having to struggle just for the luxury of working in the field that you studied, eventually the, living through that kind of struggle, it gets you to a point where you know you know what things to take seriously and what things not to, you know, you get to a point where it's like, and maybe this is true for everybody, but like things that when you were 24 would have flattened you are just like, yeah, it's, it's Tuesday, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. That's very Um, true. Yeah. I don't know. Now that we've gone through Dan's entire work history. um, (laughs) I didn't. And actually to be fair, I didn't include, you know, writing like that whole time I was doing freelance writing. I didn't include comedy stand up comedy. comedy. But you know what? But I almost, I almost blew Otravis's anonymity. Yeah. yeah. Well, you didn't include the Tiger uh, interview. Like, what happened to the Tiger <laughs> King interview? Where did where is that in the work history? I see a hole there. Well, I never actually did that job. I just interviewed. For okay, it. that's true. That's true. But now, but now maybe there's a little bit more color around why I would even go and interview for that job. <laughs> maybe now you get you get it a little bit more. You know what? I think some people, as much as we all have like funny and interesting and crazy work stories, I think that some people have more bizarre and fun interview stories than even job stories at some point because sometimes you go in for a job and it's not what you oh, were dude. expecting or yeah. you interview with someone who's completely got their head up their butt or what have you and i've yeah. had some interviews where i'm like wow i'm glad i went through that interview because i would never want to work here after going. right or or like the the number of times and hopefully for most people this shouldn't happen that often but where you interview for a job it sounds great. It sounds like a good match. You go and you start working that job. And number one, it is nothing at all what, what they told you it was going to be. Not at all. You're doing completely different stuff. The people are nothing like they were when you interviewed for them. Well, their and, HR is and, doing a very bad job then because they're not retaining anybody that way, right? Yep. Yep. So am I running a little behind? Is there something going on with like with my with my mic? It seems like what uh, I'm like behind you guys a little bit. Is that what I don't I don't think that's the podcast. I think that's just you. That's just generally anger. <laughs> no, there's been a couple just... of uh, blips here and there. Dan got staticky a couple times with the mic, and then there was a weird blip where I had to like minimize my screen because I think the bandwidth or whatever is messing up. But yeah, that's you're, uh, you seem uh, to be fine, Edgar. I don't, Dan. I've not seen Edgar have any yeah, problem. No, okay. that's that's why I keep turning my camera off every once in a while because stuff starts getting. Like... It'll tell you when the internet's unstable. It's good like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's not the microwave. I'll tell you that. Not this time, anyway. <laughs> no. So, no. <laughs> um, I know that we always go off on great tangents about our lives, but um, which are always my favorite part of these podcasts. But um, if we talk a bit more about the documentary, I want to know what you guys think about the talking heads in this one because I feel like this could have been an amazing documentary, but given the people they spoke to and the way it was formatted, I feel like 
I appreciated parts of it. I liked hearing from some of these people, but others I was like, okay, I I could have done without you. And one of my favorite parts was actually the guy who seemed high the whole time. Are you talking about Ron Finch? Is that the Ron Funches? Funches? Was it Funches? Or or um he's Doug. Uh I'm gonna have to look at Doug Benson. Doug Benson. Did super high me. Oh, no, no, not Doug. I like Doug, actually. Doug was one of the parts where I was like, I'm okay with him. Um, I appreciate him. Let me look up who this guy was. But some of his comments, I was like, this guy is high as F this whole time. And I don't even know what he's talking about at this point. Oh, yeah, Ron Funch. <laughs> Ron Funches. He says some things that pissed me off. Like, like what? Like, like he said, like he said that he knew uh, Blockbuster was going down. So he decided he was going to go and get a bunch of like GameCube games. That was like my favorite part. And not return part. them. And not that return was them. Like, that was like my favorite part. No, yeah, I, I fucking, that I was, was like, my favorite that part fucking too. guy, how dare you do that to Blockbuster? My shares. <laughs> he just seemed like high as a kite. Send him a bill. Like, They're not going to look for it. So whatever. And I was like, this guy, come on. Yeah. <laughs> He said a number of things like that. They were like, just, they were funny, is, but he was like, not cool. Is he a comedian? I'm not familiar with yeah. him. I think he okay, is. Yeah. Okay. I'm not familiar with him. Or if I've seen him, I have not seen him through the lens of a talking head in a documentary where he's high yeah. and seems to be rambling about random things. I kind of <laughs> thought the talking heads in general were, were kind of weird because yeah. it's like, what, why, why are you picking these people? And like a handful of them were people who had worked at a blockbuster mm-hmm. and, and like people either like celebrities or on the fringes of celebrity. And, but you, they didn't like, you were halfway through the documentary before any of them were like, yeah, I used to work at a blockbuster. And it's like, what, what? that kind of would have been helpful context at the beginning yeah, of why you're even here. You I know? think Kevin Smith was the only one that really made sense for me. Like, like, of course, Kevin although he Smith. didn't fit either. Like mine is his awkwardly standing in a room while yeah, they talk to him. <laughs> yeah. It, I don't know. Like I get a weird sense. And I used to be a huge Kevin Smith fan. Used to love Kevin Smith. And the especially the evening with Kevin Smith video. Oh, so good. You know, so good. it's just him tell it's basically him doing what we do. Yeah. Except people want to hear him. Um, people want to hear all about what we're talking about i i i uh, I just want to say that prince story he tells when he gets hired to do the film yes that is like one of the best stories a human being has ever told and one of the things that i think made that even better is that came out around the same time as the real Hollywood stories with Charlie Murphy bits on Chappelle show were hitting big and so they overlapped you get this you get this uh, Kevin Smith Prince story, and then you get Prince and the Pancakes. You know, did you ever it, did you it, ever hear that story? I mean, about great. the about that executive producer that that made him write the Superman story, and that yes. he wanted a giant mm-hmm. spider in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. John Waters. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that was. Yeah. Oh my goodness, that that's that was one of my favorites, Kevin Smith stories. But I, I mean, I'm sure you know he's got his own podcast. He he does. Oh, I mean, he's yeah. it's kind of how he but makes he, his bones But he started now. doing yeah. that earlier than other people, I feel like, getting yeah. a like a light into Hollywood and the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. kind of stuff people deal with as producers and directors. And um, I think that 
from that perspective, he kind of made sense, but didn't. And again, I don't think they structured it well. They should have introduced someone and said, Hey, this is Jamie Kennedy. He used to work for the blockbuster team. Like, I did appreciate though. And Edgar, I told you that ahead of the podcast that Jamie Kennedy based his performance in scream as the video store worker on Quentin Tarantino, which I kind of picked up in scream, which I was like, Kudos me, because I, yeah. you know, that I was pretty young then, but I remember hearing that about Quentin, and I was like, he's all like erratic and nuts, and I'm like, is he basing this on Quentin Tarantino? So I was gr- glad to be pr- proven right there. Anyway, well, yeah. the Scream yeah. in the Scream movies, Jimmy Kennedy was my favorite part of the whole series because he was the guy who laid down the rules, mm. right? And he's he, the film nerd. He he's knows the all film the nerd. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. And it was it was great to see him. So I I, I think he makes sense. And I think Kevin Smith makes sense. Kevin like, or Smith, at least more sense. Kevin but Smith. Like, all made, these other guys they're like made sense in the in the sense of I'm sure that you know he benefited a lot from Blockbuster being around and and people seeing clerks, you know. Um, but you know, his, his movie career was basically number. He used to work at a video store, but, but his movie career was blossoming at the time that blockbuster was at its peak. So like in the context of the documentary, he made sense, but man, it was like every time he was on just felt super awkward. Cause yeah, he's, he's standing up. And everybody else is sitting down and, and, and he's like, not, he doesn't move. Well, and also his clothes and, are now hanging on him because he's mm-hmm. lost so much weight. So he looks like this shell of his former right. self. I was about like, to say. Silent Bob. And you're kind of like, are you okay there, Kevin? <laughs> and, are they like holding you hostage, making you do this documentary right now? Yeah, he's he looks very thin, right? He's like, you're right. He's got those big ass clothes and then his neck yeah. looks really skinny, you know? And yeah, it's, it's like yeah, they beating it, poor Kevin Smith. There's something weird with Kevin Smith. Like I used to listen to his podcast, and then I kind of got out of it, you know. But every time you see him, every time he's he's being Kevin Smith for a documentary or doing an interview or something, there's something about him that feels like he's like just a couple of milliseconds out of time with the the plane of existence that we're on. Like he just, it's like, he doesn't match up somehow. Something is, is awkward there. And it, it, it's just, it's like, he's out of sync. He's stuck in the nineties, much like bend Oregon. (laughs) 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 Cause I mean, when I think of Kevin, I think of the nineties and I mean, clerks is a movie that I grew up with. And of course being in high school, um, that movie came out, I was younger. So that came out before I was in high school, but it, it's, it really, I, so many people can identify with being a clerk of some nature yeah. in those period of years. So I think that from that, you know, vantage point, he makes sense, but I just think that overall the people they talked to, there was no kind of common ground. It was kind of all haphazard. Oh. And again, if they had talked to a couple other people that were more recognizable, who spoke very specifically to an experience at Blockbuster. Like they should have just put an ask out to, you know, celebrities and said, Hey, you have a great Blockbuster story. I'm sure mm. people would have shown up to talk about it. And instead you have a couple people where I'm like, who are you? Why are you here? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. I felt that too. I, I did feel like, ah, I don't, 
Like, I don't and, know. And then, like, there were a lot of times where I felt like what people are speaking to didn't necessarily fit within the context of what was being discussed in the in the documentary. It, so, so it would be like they would have the guy who owned, who was the biggest franchise owner of, of Blockbuster stores give a yep. little color about. Can we talk about that guy? On. What is up with that guy? Alan Payne, I think his name is. The dear one- Lord, dear Lord. <laughs> like what's uh, what, what, wearing a Greg Norman shirt. <laughs> I mean, they just show up at his house and he's like saying, fuck Blockbuster, right? Is this oh, not that guy. No, no, no. That was the trauma guy. That's oh, Lloyd Kaufman. Yes, yes. Lloyd Kaufman from Trauma. Yes. So that's the guy who is the head of Blockbuster who talks about Netflix and possible merging of companies. Yeah, no. I'm talking about the crazy guy whose house they go. Lloyd Kaufman, where I I particularly liked the way that they framed that, where here's 112 seconds with Lloyd Kaufman. (laughs) And then it just sets sets up for, yeah, we wanted to get stuff out of this guy and we got 112 seconds of barely usable footage. (laughs) You know? Yeah. He's he's um, like combative. Yeah. You know, he's totally combative with them. And like, what, what are you trying to prove? <laughs> yeah. Everybody no. has someone in their life. They've interviewed like that, where you're like, well, I guess we can't use that. Or can we? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. He was, he was like in the beginning, right. The, the, the interviewer was asking him questions and he's like, oh, what the fuck? You know, like this and that. But yeah, he, I, I guess it's because his movies didn't make it into blockbuster. He was all the, the, uh, the, the toxic Avenger movies and all those. Yeah. Like, he 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 strived at being a B movie like a yeah. horror guy. I mean, he clearly and, had an axe to grind, and, yeah. and Blockbuster did him dirty. There's yeah. no question about that. Blockbuster <laughs> did him dirty. But he had no shame in been, letting the world know that. Uh, you Dan, know what would have been great? Asked, Dan, do you still have your blue polo shirt? Somewhere, actually, I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? Halloween Here, costume. That something. is the easiest shit you can do. Here's something else that uh, you should know. I also have another blue and yellow polo shirt from blah Best Buy. Oh, I worked at Best Buy for a while too. Yeah, you, you have all the blue polo shirts. Yep, <laughs> the whole full collection. <laughs> I think I think for some reason I'm just like remembering thinking about this now. Like again, high school, everyone I know worked at like a Blockbuster or Best Buy in terms of the the male population mm-hmm. that I knew and. It was, you know, it's a tech job or it's a movie geek job. But as Dan has talked about, like things look glamorous on the outside, but they ain't glamorous on the inside. So I'll be honest. Best Buy was actually a halfway decent job. People there seem happy to work there. It's just I think sometimes they're overworked and um, the geek squad definitely. um, Yeah, they're passionate about their job, but they get overworked, too. But they're young guys like. You're never yeah, going to yeah. have more energy than when you have that energy in your 20s. So use it. <laughs> <laughs> I, f- I feel that your best buy or your best buy, your blockbuster experience, Emily, was kind of like what I had with the film cage. Whereas you, you like all the cool kids were at blockbuster. And that's how I felt like all the cool kids were in the film cage. Because in college, everybody wanted to work in the film cage. Oh, no. Every man. student wanted to work. At my the- Blockbuster, I mean, not even in, in among the high school kids. No, Nobody was cool. Everybody <laughs> was, was a total dork or a total geek, clearly on the fringes of society. 
I got that vibe from a lot of blockbusters, but I feel like the ones that I went to obviously had cool people because they were my friends. Um, <laughs> but but it you know, there was always the the lingering dork here and there. But I feel like it really depends on you know what you made of it. And of course, Dan, in your situation, you were graduated from college with this degree, this piece of paper that you haven't been able to like make work for you just out of school. And there's got to be a little bit of emotion around that i'm assuming and i'm oh sure and i guess part of that didn't exactly lend you being like woohoo blockbuster is oh it. oh sure you, you yeah. think so i don't i don't, I, I, don't I, I don't get that at all emily i, I thought no dan, I, dan is not negative over anything usually oh. he's very very glass, <laughs> positive optimistic yes. absolutely no, but you know what Edgar, you know what's funny though is that sometimes i feel like i'm in the middle of you and dan i have my like bitter Betty kind of whatever moments and I'm kind of like curmudgeon-y and then I have my like more oh let's look at the glass half full aspect but I feel like I'm sort of like the (laughs) in-between you help us meld together (laughs) am am I really that negative I mean you really the blockbuster like I get that the late fees were a thing I remember my boyfriend working there and having to do the inventory nights and I remember a lot of people being pissy but I remember there being a lot of fun too so I just feel like your experience was maybe not as good as theirs. I'm I'm sure that my memories of it are colored by the larger context of my life at that point Yeah. yeah Yeah. You know, no, nobody's happy to be working at Blockbuster because they can't get a better job and they're living in their parents' basement af- after getting the fancy piece of paper. Nobody's well, happy about life, you know? And I mean, D- Edgar, would you have been motivated to work at a Blockbuster after college? Or was that no. really just a high school college dream? I don't, I don't think I was motivated to get a Blockbuster job post-college. Post-college, I was... I, I had a mindset pretty much like you guys. I need a good job. I need this job. Mm-hmm. I need the job I, I went to school for. And I mean, that's was- the pressure. That's the pressure yeah. of the parents, yep. too, because my mom was like, you know what? Why would you go do this? You need to go hit the ground. And I was just like you, Dan. I mean, I sent resumes to everyone. Mm-hmm. I did interviews all the time. I was a go getter. I was always doing something. And I still wasn't hitting where I needed to hit. And at some point, I told my mom, you know, I can keep doing this. And I was still living with her at that point, or I can just do whatever to make money for now and just be making money. And I think that's better than plugging away at something that might not happen again, when you have these different spurts of recession and whatnot, mm. if it's not hitting, I'm not someone who's above anything. Like if I couldn't find it, if I got laid off of my <laughs> job today and I Blockbuster wasn't. was open, I would work at Blockbuster today, like just to make money. You like know, I am not uh, on a high horse when it comes to my work. Like sometimes you just need to make money. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. But like this is funny that you guys are talking about work history because I do have one story. Um, oh, do you, Edgar? Tell us yes, more. I got story. Yes. And hold gather around. I tell the stories on this podcast. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Get gather around, children. Let me <laughs> time for story. But no, but like <laughs> what? Like right out of college, I was like, I'm gonna go get an animation job at a studio and you really had your sights set high sir. oh yes oh not only that but i was like i'm gonna work at at nickelodeon that's what i that's what i was thinking so i i drive down to um to uh la and they have this giant job fair that they call animation celebration so they have all these like all these like uh 
places you can they can train you on stuff uh you get to meet studio vendors you take tours of the studios uh you get to watch movies you, you pay a fee but then you also uh there's a huge part of it it's a giant jo uh, job fair and you show up with your resume and your portfolio with all these drawings that you worked really really hard on and you take the best shit that you have and you put it in this portfolio and you go from studio to studio and you have them reject you <laughs> yeah. I well, spent see, Edgar, Edgar I almost was going member into the acting field so I would have been you in Los Angeles going to auditions getting rejected uh -huh. I didn't have the balls to do it so at least you had the balls to go do it well I had no idea it was going to be like this so if I would have known I probably wouldn't have gone you wouldn't have gone yeah. <laughs> Just, because yeah, I show right. up I show up and it's like there's a long line and I'm like oh well that's Disney Fuck Disney. I'm not going to work at Disney. I'm too good for Disney. I want to work at Nickelodeon. That's the art that I want to work, uh, want to do, right? So I line up at, at Nickelodeon and I'm seeing, like, I'm like three people behind, four people behind. I'm looking into the doorway because it's just like a giant hotel. And there's like all these kids lined up with their portfolios and resumes and stuff. And, and there's room after room. Each room is a different studio. And so I'm in the Nickelodeon line. And I look over and I see what the guy's doing, like the guy who's interviewing. He's asking him a couple questions, but nothing too deep, right? He's just looking at the portfolio and he's just turning pages like he's turning pages on a phone book. He's just like, it takes him like 10 seconds to get through the portfolio. And he says, here, thanks. Keep trying. Next. And he does the same thing to the next. Maybe they were like twenty-five pages of green slime, and he just wasn't impressed. It, it, it could be, it could, you know, it could have been anything. They could have been looking for something specific, or they could have been looking for something. Who knows? Who knows what they were yeah. looking for? But they weren't looking for anybody that day because <laughs> people. I, I, there is a good or, ten people in front of right. me. Every single one of them got rejected, at least to my knowledge. And when it was my turn. Yeah. He did the same exact thing to me because I was like, like, I saw that, but I was like, that's not going to happen to me. He hasn't seen my shit, right? But I look at the kid in front of me, and I'm like looking at his stuff, and it's amazing stuff. It's like watercolored. It looks like photorealistic. And I'm like, what the fuck, right? So I'm like, well, I have a stick figure to show you all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I said to myself, He's yeah. wearing a cape. <laughs> I'm like, that kid definitely has a job, right? Yeah. So then he goes up to him and the guy just goes through it. And he's like, okay, cool. Thanks. That's, that's really nice stuff, but no. And I'm like, fuck, he got rejected. Like, what the fuck are you guys looking for? Right? So I get up, I give him my portfolio and he flips through it. No, thanks. And I was like, fuck, you're not even going to tell me it was good. It yeah. really must have been looking for like the most specific or like inspiring, mind altering thing they've never seen before. They, you know? they, who knows what they were looking for? It could have been something uh, specific. Yeah. It could have been looking for a, a special type of line work. Who knows? But I said, well, that's just Nickelodeon. That was my first. But, they were, but what they were looking for was not you. It was not me and right? the 100 other it kids was that were yet. behind me. You know? Yeah, right. So I, I like, also like how you said Nickelodeon was your dream. And you just said, well, that's just Nickelodeon. Not a big deal. Uh, not a big deal. I'll just move to the next <laughs> giant studio. Yeah, like, I guess I'll talk to Disney now. <laughs> well, well, no, Disney was not the not next. Next, I went to the Cartoon Network. I said, well, 
I'll go to Cartoon Network. Fuck, fuck Nickelodeon. They don't know what they don't know what the, what chances they just lost, right? So I go over to <laughs> Cartoon Network, and the same shit happened. And it fucking it. I just kept it. Just kept fucking happening that whole fucking day. It was just me going from studio to studio, like a hundred studios, big ones and small ones. Fuck no, 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 no. And if I was like fuck. So at this time, I'm like, I'm betting a thousand. I might as well just fucking, you know, like I might as well just finish the night off. I guess I'll go to Disney now. <laughs> I know what their answer is going to be. You know, nice. so I, yeah, I went to Disney. And yeah, of course. I love, no. I would have loved if they had stopped you and they were like, yes, we found it. <laughs> We've been waiting. We've been waiting for you. Oh, it's the Edgar be. chair. The Edgar chair is right there. No, no, I was too good for Disney. Disney was still, even at that point, as low as I was, Disney was the last interview I was going to do. You know what? I bet you so many people have other cool stories about actually getting in the doors of some of those organizations too. And like actually having, oh, some sure. like starting to talk about a project and it doesn't come to fruition just because they can give more insight into that. But Edgar, I'm guessing you probably wouldn't have done this if you'd known how it was going, but that's a pretty cool opportunity for young people to have when you really think sure. about it. Like if someone was to stop you and go, I like this idea and just give you a shot. You don't get that in a lot of industries. Like you don't even hear back from people and to be face to face. Yeah. If it's really not going well. (laughs) And I think Edgar, I think we have a mutual friend, oddly enough, who actually that happened to. Yeah. Yeah. Who actually did get their shot and, you know, has plenty of credits on IMDb worked on, got, got kicked off working on Powerpuff Girls. I got, I know exactly who you're talking about. And I know the story very well because it's like a legend. I, it's not really my story to tell, but I, I'm going to go ahead and tell it, tell it anyway, because I don't think. Edgar, you're on a roll. You're storytelling. Storyteller. <laughs> One more on. story, children. Gather around. Oh, we're, <laughs> we're still gathered. We are still gathered. So this cat um, that you're talking about, you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so. we we just named him. We just yeah, named I'll, him here. I'll, I'll scratch. Yeah, that I, I went to high school with him, and and Edgar somehow I think went to college with him. We went to college, and we started an animation like a Japanese animation club. We started the first Japanese animation club. You are cool, cool people. Yeah, not, not I really. I mean that serious. I mean that seriously. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> So yeah, I, if I had said it, I wouldn't have been sincere, so I didn't say it. I was trying to sound sincere. I love that kind of animation. But yeah. Edgar's still a dork. But still. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a dork. Everybody on that club was a dork, but it was great. Like, um, but I, me and a few other people started that. That we were the founding members of of that club. I, I actually was just kind of there for, along for the ride. Somebody else really started, but anyway, uh, joined the club. And uh, I believe after I left, he had become president of that club, but I'm not 100% sure. Anyway, so at one point, he goes, like, you know, he's a year younger than me. So he goes to Animation Celebration. He goes to the same place I went to. And he went, I don't know if he went with his resume, with his, no, he did. He did go with his portfolio. He went with his portfolio, but I don't know if he went to any studios. But he went on a tour of Cartoon Network's studio. 
So he was on Cartoon Network, but you see prior to this, he was a huge Cartoon Network fan, which is why he went to the Cartoon Network tour. And he would watch Powerpuff Girls like all the time with his uh, young sister, like youngest sister. And they would watch Powerpuff Girls. They would watch these tapes of Powerpuff Girl episodes. And then they would just, because there was like hundreds of them on a tape, they would just watch the tape all the way through. And just as they're waiting for the next episode to start, they would read the names of the producers and writers and animators and storyboard artists and everything in the credits and just make fun of every single name. It was like, oh, there's Tom Jensen. Oh, that sounds like a dork, right? Ah, you know, whatever. So they went name by name and, and made fun of each name as the credits rolled. And so they did that for you know, however many, 20, 50 episodes of Powerpuff Girls for how many seasons that, you know, they watched. So then now he's at the studio. And so they're touring the studio and they come up and he's like, well, this here is our storyboard artist. He is one of the people that uh, storyboard. Oh, I know who he is. Uh, he's Steve Jensen. You're one of the lead storyboard artists from Powerpuff Girls. And he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> and like, otherwise, these people would never, nobody would know who they are. Right. No. But he knew their name and their position. And they're like, what, what, what the fuck? And he says, how do you, how do you know who I am? You know? And he's just like, oh, you know, I, I watched the show. And they're like, and you remember the name from the credits? And it's like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, so they go down to the next person, you know, it's like, okay, well, this here is the, you know, the lead uh, uh, layout artist. Oh, you must be Bobby Jensen or Bobby Brown or whatever your name is. He's just like, how'd you know that? And he's just like, oh, no, you know, I watched the show. <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> so they went down to every brilliant, brilliant. a billion wow. different people in the whole animation studio. And he was able to name them and tell you their title. But it was I did his homework. God did his homework. Well, he didn't mean to. He was just making fun of all the yep. names in the credits, and somehow he remembered <laughs> the names because of it. But this so is the kind weird. of guy he, if I remember correctly, I mean, that's the kind of guy he was. He was just the odd cat, you know. But yeah. he was a cool. He was a cool guy. He wasn't like odd and socially awkward. He was right. just. He was just kind of weird and but fun to be around. And it was kind of shit like this, you know. So then, by the end of the tour. The guy's like, okay, so who's this? And he's like, uh, let me see. We went through all these people. You must be Jill S Smith. You must be Jill Smith. And he's like, yes. How did how did you even know that? And it's like, you must be the you you're, you're the penciler. So you have you know you you do the show uh, Powerpuff Girls, right? So yeah, I watched the show. And so he named every single person in the studio, and they're like, like the 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 tour guide who probably was you know an executive or whatever at at you know cartoon network was just so impressed so at the end of the tour he's like okay everybody thank you so much for coming to the tour uh you know uh enjoy animation celebration and they go hey you come over here and everybody's like sitting there watching what's happening right and mind you every single one of these kids that was on this tour were animated yeah were animation like hopefuls 
desperate right? for and, for anything. Salivating. Yeah. Damn, I should have watched those credits that's over a, and over that's, again. That's exactly what everybody was thinking because they go, "Hey, you come over here," and he's like, "Yeah." He's just like, "What's your name again?" And he's just like, "Yeah, it's you know, my name is this." You know, and he's just like, "Do you have a portfolio?" And he's like, yeah, I do. And he's like, does it have your name and your card and all that stuff? And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gave it to him. And he's like, okay, we'll give you a call in a couple of weeks. And so every kid on that tour was like, fuck. And like, how come? Like, oh, shit. Like, there's, so I had a chance here, and I didn't know that I had a chance. And so then he walks away, and he thinks nothing of it, right? He's like, I gave, my, I gave this guy my portfolio. Like, you know, mind you, it's a week of rejection, right? You go in the yeah. studio, you know, yeah. he, you have multiple copies of this portfolio in the hopes that that multiple people are gonna ask for them. When I went, <laughs> I took all my portfolios home with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did they have a special place in the bin and uh, airplane? No, I wish uh, yeah. they did, man, because I would have just tossed that shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You know what's you know what's almost infuriating about that story but hold on but two weeks oh there's more two weeks later they call this cat two weeks later they call this cat he's back in chicago they're like hey we have a job for you he's just like it's not much it doesn't pay much but you know you 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 know you'll be a pa if you want the job and he's like a pa a cartoon network fuck yeah you know it's like I would have said he was qualified to be the office manager because he already knows everybody. Right, yeah. <laughs> you want to work in HR? <laughs> Funny with yeah. You want to work in HR? I later but a PA, to be fair, a PA needs to know who people are. So he's well, already got that going. Yeah, but like and PA so, is that's the foot in the door. That's I mean, the that's, foot in the door. It's just that's that's the the job that everybody starts with. And yep. so he had that job for a while too. Like from my understanding from the last time I talked to him, and it's been a while, but like uh he had that job for a while and uh it took him a while to break into actually drawing for a long time he was yeah. getting people's coffee and doing people's laundry until yeah. finally you know he convinced somebody he's like look 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 at my art like look i can i can draw like i can do stuff for you guys like, just let me hold a pencil you know yeah and they finally gave him a shot and he showed up and he got the job yeah. so like part of it is wackiness right yeah part of it but the other part of it is him persistently pursuing you know that yeah like he knows he has his foot in the door but he's got to get in he's still not there and so that yeah. that was that's my favorite story it's not my story but it's like one of my favorite stories to tell because it is amazing and uh man kudos to that cat right, right. yeah I mean, again that came about from an odd in an odd manner but at the same time i feel like if you are re-watching something if you're paying attention to things try to absorb as much as you can because i've had similar situations not as prolific as that maybe but where i've gone in places and i've known so much and people are like do you work here like mm -hmm. i hang out at the zoo sometimes with my, <laughs> with my animal friends i was just there this yeah. past weekend and you know and the name of all the animals I know all their names and I know like <laughs> about them and what they do. And people are like, do you work here? And I'm like, no. <laughs> and I'll say, that's Joe. And he's been here for three years. And they're like, are you a volunteer? I'm like, not currently. Yeah. But, you know. See, and this is what I, because I've done similar things, like not to that degree, right? But I guarantee this is, it's sort of 
almost, almost infuriating because if I'd have done that, if it had been me in that situation and I was going through it, so, so you're, you're so-and-so and and you're Bob Jorgensen and, you know, and, and knew all that, I would not have gotten a job offer. I would have gotten a restraining order. (laughs) (laughs) No, people, people would have been like, this cat is weird. And your tone of voice, it all has to do with it. (laughs) Yeah. This cat is weird. We, he gave us the creeps. He knows way too much. Uh, blacklisted from Hollywood, you know. Like, you know, and I, your social security number is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you live in Hollywood Hills at this address. Yeah. I, so wait, I, what is he doing today? Do we not know what he's doing? Yeah, he's like directing stories. He's storyboard artist. He's Very cool. yeah. It is it, funny because I was. Uh, I will, you know, it's, he's, he's a very nice guy and he's very smart yeah. and he's just really kind of quirky. And I feel bad cause I wasn't the nicest cat to that guy either. So it's just like, uh, you know, like I could have had my in maybe if I was you nice reap to what guy. you sow. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Recovering well, asshole. Like I said, I mean, people aren't always going to remember everyone who came before them. Um, I wanted to say about this documentary, um, there's the scene with Jamie Kennedy where he talks about this like weird blockbuster crew that would go to like yeah. openings and all this. Him and Jim Gaffigan and two oh, other yeah. people. So I used to be pretty friendly with Jim Gaffigan. I don't know, like we still chat on social media, but I don't think he would know me if he saw me in a room or anything like that. But we became friends like in the dawn of MySpace, if you remember that. And I don't remember him being part of that or Jamie. I don't remember that at all, but it just lends to like the other ideas around like movies and renting movies was such a big part of life that like we had an entertainment crew. Like it's so bizarre when you think about it now and so outdated, but they were almost like, um, um, mascots for the organization. Yeah. Yeah, They were kind of mascotty, right? Yeah. Minus the costumes, but yeah. 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 And just look at the massive cultural shift, right? Uh, because there's there's an entire generation of people right now who have either never rented a movie, mm-hmm. never gone to a video store, or were so little that they they don't even remember it. And so the I, whole concept of this is foreign. This is what I thought gave me the most nostalgia. The idea of when they were talking about opening the blockbuster box and then clicking it back together. Yeah. There was something really satisfying about yeah, there that was. that I enjoyed. So or like I picking that. picking at the little vinyl cover, you know? Yep. Yeah, there was something satisfying about that. Those those boxes were like nearly indestructible because again, people would leave VHSs out on their dashboard yep. of their car all the time. Yep. <laughs> They were like we had a couple vaults. melted movies in my family, but they were from Lion Video, and Lion Video <laughs> forgave us. If it was Blockbuster, they probably would have been like, you owe us $19.99 right now. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. and how much were they paying for their movies again at that point? Well, I so they the did a revenue system. share. Yeah. They did a revenue yeah. share, but the, the videos had like an arbitrary value of $100 or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, but they, they would only pay like $2 or something per copy of the movie. Um, but then the studio would get a portion of every rental. Um, and then fun fact, um, we had to destroy those movies. Uh, like when, when they came off the shelves, you would put a certain amount, you were, we were allowed to put a certain amount of them out for sale for like previously viewed. And then the rest of those movies, we couldn't donate them to a library. We couldn't take them home. You had to account for them. 
and dumpster them. What? That's yep. wrong. Yep. Why? Because, because they were under the studio helm still? Yeah, because it 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 was like oh. it, it was revenue sharing. It wasn't like the property of Blockbuster per se. Unlike the manager and Ben, who would literally go out to Best Buy or Target and go buy a copy of something right. if somebody asked for it. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. That was above and beyond. When I saw her like walk into a store and buy stuff, I'm like, you're gonna buy stuff just so that somebody can rent it. Yeah. And they I think about that how was... bizarre that is because that person could go to Target and buy them the, it themselves. And I'm assuming people yeah. in Bend, Oregon, if they like a movie enough, it's not like they can't spend the $15.99 on the DVD, right? Right. Like, the the whole thing that's like my biggest takeaway is how bizarre it is that that this still exists and there's enough people out there to support the store staying in business. Well, and let's like, since it's an libraries. independent enterprise, like, like they have to make enough money yeah. from, from rental revenue to employ people and pay the rent and keep the lights on. Whereas, you know, a library is publicly funded, you know? Yeah, that's publicly funded, but I'm just trying to think about it from the perspective of like, so there used to be a place, um, and I'm forgetting the name of it now, near DePaul University, and they had like, again, more eclectic movies you couldn't find places for in films. And facets. People would, yes, facets on Fullerton. And you could screen, they would screen movies there. You could take out movies from there. And it was really a place for film lovers. And I think that's why I gravitated to it. And it wasn't just like going to a mom and pop video shop. It was very specialized. They had newsletters and emails they'd send out about things mm -hmm. they were screening, you know, there and whatnot. And I kind of still like that idea. Um, but again, if something's available on my TV to stream, am I going to do right. it? Yeah. Yeah. Facets was an interesting place. That was the other place. That was the other video store I applied at. I, I had I had high hopes. You know, like I said, Nickelodeon only, maybe Cartoon Network, Disney, blah, you know, and, mm -hmm. and Blockbuster. Okay, Blockbuster didn't hire me. I'll go to Facets, you know, and Facets was the type of place that you could find stuff like uh, the cabinet of Dr. Kiligari on Laser. Yeah, sure. You know, it, it had like weird shit on 16 millimeter and just crazy shit, right? I wonder if it's still there, but man i would go in there and i was like intimidated because the people behind the 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 desk were were kind of snobby you know yeah they'll be like yeah. uh i've only been in here twice how do i how do how do i act in here you know and it'll be like i need to get a rental for this i'm going to, you know for school do you have the bicycle thief in mm -hmm. French with subtitles in English. <laughs> oh, it's I never worked there, but I feel like I was one of the snobby people that probably went there that you saw. Yeah. Um, because I, I mean, I I just really like again, I gravitated towards people who liked more out of the out of the box kind of highbrow, sometimes different stuff that you couldn't find at your average video store. But I also remember going to a family video, and it was in Michigan, and they they just for whatever reason had acquired a lot of very eclectic movies. So when we would go up there to my uncle's cabin, we would, you know, you can only spend so much time at the beach and whatever and whatnot. So we would rent movies to watch at night and we always found really interesting stuff. And it was just that particular, you know, franchise and that building, those people that had allocated these things got a really cool collection going. 
But on average, Blockbuster was going to have the new releases and the standby favorites, and you weren't going to mm. ever really be finding anything highbrow or super eclectic by any means. So there is still a place. I just yeah. don't know what it is. Uh, I, I will say when I was working at Blockbuster, our Blockbuster in particular was like the anchor store for our region. So like it, Blockbusters were like triangulated. So for any given area, there were at least three Blockbusters to serve those those communities. Oh, so wow. like, if, you know, and, and the, the idea being that if this Blockbuster is out of a certain movie, it's a five month, five minute drive to the next blockbuster and they might have it. Right. Um, and so our store, we had an enormous library, like ridiculous. Uh, and it was specifically for that so that it could be like, yeah, we're blockbuster. We, we have it. You want some weird ass French cinema, you know, you, you want to go down a Fellini hole. We, we can, we can do that. You know, I want to go down all the Fellini holes. <laughs> <laughs> Just I think that's what Fellini wants you to do. Um, yeah. it, was, it was blockbuster. I just watched a bunch of Dario Argento last night. So I'm kind oh. of like, yeah, I've been like dipping into the weird stuff. But those are the yeah. kind of things where it's just like you can't go to Blockbuster and find Dario Argento and his full catalog. It's just not going to happen. Well, yeah. not today, especially yeah. not today. You yeah, definitely today. not today. Yeah. I mean, there, there was a point at which there should have been, according to the, the strategy and the philosophy, there should have been one Blockbuster everywhere that had that kind of depth and uh although i mean i yeah dario argento is kudos to you <laughs> i i Cause, like because for telling me you, that's like punishment like no and i'm telling you when i had um when i had that netflix queue um when they were still sending the dvds and i was primarily doing that and not streaming with them probably 2004 five ish i like had the most eclectic list of films and that's why i'm surprised that you guys said that blockbuster really had a lot as well because i just remember like being able to find stuff i would never find at a physical mm. blockbuster yeah. and the thing the titles were so bizarre and at that point in my life i was in my early 20s ish it, i was like really into strange eclectic stuff and i was really opening sure. my eyes to all these other like genres and i can still do that to some extent obviously streaming has so much but to have it curated in that spot, I kind of liked how that worked. These days, I open up my Netflix and I have 500 garbage movies they just, yeah. you know, created in the last right. five minutes screaming at me. And I'm yeah. like, where's the good stuff? And when I searched for Dario, I found some stuff that I could watch for free on my subscriptions. But most of it was I had to pay for it. Yeah. And I own a couple of his pieces. And of course, God knows where those are right now. But I just think that there needs to be more availability of these quality pieces of art because there's yeah. so much garbage being. And this, this is an interesting thought is with the fact that there just isn't any kind of physical movie rental retail anymore. It just really doesn't exist except for oddball situations like the last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. How many movies are there? thinking about it that are just now definitely forever lost lost to time because they're either so obscure or bizarre that nobody is is sitting there being like yeah you know what we need to buy the rights to this and 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 uh get it get it up for streaming 
how many movies that are just never ever going to get seen again i because there's there's it's just not going to happen i think about that a lot yeah we i when we did our kung fu movie uh five favorites uh dan yeah i saw that i was looking for movies and i could not find some mm-hmm. and there were um and there are, and there are some cases where they do have a movie but it's an inferior version right yeah it's it's not it's or, either it's in english yeah. with a whole new music track yeah uh because they can't get the rights for streaming mm-hmm. and all this other nonsense so or, there's other issues involved sure. with streaming you can't have certain music well, and yeah there's tons of that where uh even on on the the quote unquote premium mainstream services like on hulu or netflix where they'll have like scrubs uh you know the entire series of scrubs is on hulu but half of the music is different substituted in stuff because at when the shows were made nobody thought like because it didn't exist like do we need to buy the the rights to the music for streaming purposes that and, is very frustrating when you love a series and you mm-hmm. kind of connect music to certain sure. scenes or the titles. Like Dawson's Creek has different music. In yeah, their Dawson's, titles. I know Felicity yeah. is a show I watched has and, totally different music. And I'm like, this isn't the same viewing experience yep. I have when I watch these. Oh, originals. totally. And at the beginning, at the beginning of the the pandemic, I went down the Dawson's Creek hole because that that show has meaning for that guy. That <laughs> that, show, is that really true that it has meaning for you? <laughs> I don't know if it has meaning, but I mean, there, I have a lot of sentimentality for that show because I have always, always looked like a, uh, a fat Joshua Jackson. And, <laughs> and I would, I would, when I was younger, I, I got that a lot, you know, and uh, <laughs> like, I loved the mighty ducks and all that. Oh and God. Dawson's, yeah. Dawson's Creek came out and, it, it was bizarre because I was technically too old for that show. You know, I was a uh, freshman or sophomore in college when that show hit. And uh, yeah, it came out my sophomore year of high school. I remember, but it totally, it, it was just like, boom. Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm into this show. At least for like the first two or three seasons, I was like on it. And I, I, I fell into the hole last year with the pandemic and it just was, it was like heartbreaking because the theme music is different. Mm-hmm. And, and then that was one of those shows. And I mean, this happens, I think probably a lot more than people realize the, a lot of the times the episodes are written around specific songs, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're using specific songs for a specific purpose for what's going on in the episode. And it ruins it. Like there's, there's a lot of episodes of scrubs that were like that. And uh, you go back and you try to rewatch Scrubs and half the songs are different. And it's just like, it, it doesn't work anymore, you know? And I mean, if you're someone who enjoys television and film as we all do and actually takes the time to look into it and dissect it and whatnot, I mean, we all know the power music has in, you know, anything, whether that's the title or a score of a film or what have you. And it's a totally different viewing experience, but it also is usually from my experience on streaming, it's a lesser experience because of that. Not yep. only am I missing the nostalgia that I originally equated with this, but I also don't like the new music and it doesn't suit right. the scene or the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah there's, this, there's something really kind of horrible actually that happened aside from Joss Whedon and all his other troubles that he's caused for himself. Mm-hmm. But the, the Buffy, the vampire series 
had been remastered for uh, for high def and put on streaming. And they have done some crazy shit with that show because, you know, first off, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer was made, well, came out in the middle. Well, the show started before we had the long flat screen TVs when we when we mm-hmm. went to the sixteen by nine. Um, it was a four by three show, and then the TVs came out, and then the second part of the season became a 16 by nine format show. So now you have a series that's caught in the middle of this transition. So uh, at one point they released a special box set, which I like an idiot bought, right? And what they did was they formatted the whole show four by three. Man. So they, they, like on the second- It is tragic. That is a tragedy. That's one problem. The the other problem is is eventually they took that show to streaming, and when they did when they took that show to streaming, I guess the they kind of remastered it and done a horrible job. There's a bunch of like effects stuff that kind of like had to be redone for for uh, it being remastered because the graphics are now there's more information for the gra- for for the image, so they needed to redo them the old graphic wasn't going to work and in doing so they redid them and they were they are even worse now mm. than they were when they originally were on the show so they went from mediocre tv cg to like below that mm. so and now high def so and then there's other issues like the cutting the way the way they cut certain episodes you can see the boom mics yeah, mm-hmm. you can see. Yep. All I have a friend right. because now there's a bunch of stuff in frame that wasn't it. there. Yep. I'm sorry. I have a friend who. Um, sorry, my, my friend is actually has a Buffy podcast. Wow. It is, uh, it is 2021, y'all. <laughs> she, has, she has a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast, and they are very passionate about Buffy. And so I've heard all of this from her. Um, I, it's just such a bizarre. I mean, first of all, like Buffy had its moment, right? We had the film, we mm-hmm. had the television series. Obviously, I remember Sarah Michelle Geller from the soap opera All My Children. Of she course. She became daughter. Yes. Yes, so indeed. She was a brunette, but then she became a star because of Buffy. And I don't know. I don't listen to my friend's podcast because I'm not interested in Buffy. <laughs> I want I to be on that I podcast. I only imagine there's not much to be talked about. I'll, I'll ask her if she wants to have you. I, I can only imagine there's only so much to talk about when you talk about Buffy, but I know they've done one recently about all of these changes and like what terrible decision makers are in the room making these choices because that's a series. That's not just like a series that came and went in a blip. It was a very popular series. Someone still has a podcast about it for Christ's sake. Like there needs to be better Someone needs to be making better choices when they're moving stuff to streaming. Cause I remember the boom mics, her mentioning mm-hmm. that right off the bat. And I was like, you can see the effing booms. Like what? <laughs> it's yes. crazy. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're, yeah, they're um, remastering it from like the original framing, which there's extra, there's extra framing in there that wasn't in the, the final cut, you know? 
Yeah. I just, I, I, I have to think there's better ways to go about these things, or maybe you don't do them the way you're doing them. Or you I don't, don't do them. Right. Yeah. Like don't do just, it at all. You just bring it over in four to three, you know? Yeah. 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 And leave it alone. Let oh, it right. like, zoom out and make it look, you know, choppy or whatever, but just, or, or pixelated, just leave it alone. You know? Right. Somebody uh, at the studio is like, we got to get this done fast. I don't care about the quality. Let's just, let's just get it up and streaming. And, uh, you know, they're doing a disservice to the, to the property. Yeah. I, I just seemed- remember watching films that are like, you know, cut for television and like, you know, my mother would always get really frustrated when they were cut certain ways. And she'd be like, I can't see half of the screen. I'm like, you don't understand like why it is that way. And I would try to explain it, but for people who don't understand that it's not yeah. worth it, but she'd be like, I'm missing, I have a big TV and I can't see half of it on this side. And this, I'm like, Oh mom, do I need to explain this for the 9,000th time? Right. But yeah, but there's, you know, there's problems. If there's something like that and you can't get it to work, then you just don't do it. Just don't do it. Simple as that. So, Emily, I have to ask, what is the one thing you miss about Blockbuster the most? The most. I am going to get just a tiny bit nostalgic and say, aside from my time spent there, hanging out there, getting free grub and like occasionally like free, you know, they'd have the doodads that you could buy, you know, there were like little gifty things by the snacks and stuff like that. that Sometimes my boyfriend would get me for free or they'd be like, you know, moving it to the sale counter and I would get something for free. I just really miss going by myself and like having that experience of browsing taking my time, not when it's like a packed Friday night, but when it's like less busy and kind of just like surveying the room and being like in my space, like as a movie lover, that's something I think we all did for years. We physically drove somewhere. We walked in, you got to touch the Mm -hmm. box. You did all of the physical stuff. Yes, you got to speak to Dan. It was probably angry as hell. Like telling you you have to pay $5 for the late fee. And you're like, fuck you, Dan. Give me my fucking movie. Um, I didn't know Dan back then. But I just think that like you didn't interactions. I mean, think about how many things we do today. We were just like zombies where we hit a button and it tells us what to watch. Like, I don't want to live my life like that. I want to make a choice. And I feel like when I went to Blockbuster alone, and even sometimes with another person, because I get my way, I would, you know, pick out something I really wanted to watch that was probably not old because I owned a lot of older stuff, but a new release or something maybe I didn't own. Um, and I would just feel, you know, comfortable and comforted by it just being there, knowing I can go to that section and find that movie. And these days, it's just a robot telling me what to watch. And I don't really enjoy that as much. Mm-hmm that's me that's an interesting point that you make about mm-hmm. the browsing because that was part of like the dating experience one of the points sure. of the documentary made mm-hmm. i was just like holy shit there's a whole kind of thing that i didn't really pick up on yeah if i take a girl oh. with me to the movie th- uh to the to the rental i can see what kind of things she picks and it might give yeah. me some insight as to who she is or for I that remember- matter it's it's the great yeah. filter how many how many times did you have the Okay, let's go browse the the shelves. This is what you want to watch. Okay, let's just have this conversation right now. This isn't going to work. <laughs> it's, it's been fun. 
I appreciate the time we've spent together, but it's time for both of us to move on. Yes. Yes. I, like I've always had like, that's a, it's a test, right? Like I didn't really have a lot of boyfriends. I went to video stores with that. I can remember. Um, but there was one where we both gravitated towards Magnolia of all movies. Oh, wow. And we came home, we were like 18 and we came home and we watched it and it was weird. And it's the one, you know, with Tom Cruise, all crazy. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Dogs Tom fall Cruise, out I, of the sky. I have to always spit in Tom Cruise's name somewhere. Um, <laughs> and we watched it and we loved it. And it wasn't even a question. There was no, Hey, I kind of want this, or I kind of want this. Whereas mm. I'm sure there's tons of couples where the guy wanted and I'm not being prejudiced here, but the guy wanted, you know, some really dumb action movie and the girl wanted some serious drama and they both went, maybe this isn't going to work between us. <laughs> and in my situation, yeah. it was like, we both wanted the same movie and we watched it and we, we made out during Magnolia and it was a wonderful memory. I love that memory. That's awesome. And I wish that guy nothing but good things. Not really, but you know, <laughs> first love, yeah. first love overrated. Oh, but yeah, I, I, I think that it was probably a huge gauge for people on a Friday night. Like, does this girl like what I like? Does this guy like what I like? Or are we not suited? Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Dan? What do you got? Like, right. what, do you, what well, is your favorite I, there thing? Are a couple of, there are a couple of things about Blockbuster. Number one, I've always been a movie or visual arts just fanatic, right? And before there was streaming, let's try to remember it in that context, there was one place that you'd go that they were going to have what you were looking for, whether it was some bizarre uh, esoteric Japanese film um, or anime or the, whatever the blockbuster, not blockbuster is in blockbuster, but the, the blockbuster movie was, you know, they were going to have it. And if they didn't have it, they could pick up the phone and call the store five minutes away and find out if they had it and tell you, you know, they put it on, put it on the side. This guy's coming to get it. Um, that was, that was great. You know, that was because you could always, I, for a long time, I could always see whatever it was I wanted to see. And like, if, even if they didn't have the movie, you know, I, I don't know if the people remember this, if they didn't have the movie, they could order it and they could get it in. So you could tell them, I want to see this movie. Nobody else has it. They could get it for you, you know? Um, and they weren't going to Target to go and buy it because Target was right. probably not around at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then working there, the experience of working there. I mean, it did. I, I made some good friends while I worked there. Um, and the experience of having to watch movies, not like I needed that forced upon me, right? But being able to get to the point where it's just like, okay, I, I have to, the job requires me to go home and watch whatever this week's Michael Bay movie is. So I'm going to go watch that and get out of the way so that I can speak to it, to the customers. And, you know, we also had the benefit of, we would, we would see the movies early. We would yeah. always get oh. the movies, you know, be like the Sunday before release date. Something oh, really? else you so that we could on Edgar. So, Damn. Right. So that so that everybody <laughs> in the store could could have seen the movie before it went on the shelf, right? Wow. But then it was also, I mean, eventually that forces you into a point where it's just like, God, I just I don't want to see Tom Cruise. I don't want to see 
Michael Bay movies. Oh, I, I, no. I don't want to see the Hollywood stuff. And so I you can't start believe you just said that. Oh my but, goodness. But, you know, Let's you be start fair. Never ever library, decimate you know? Tom Cruise, but you can decimate Michael Bay and, all you want. Oh. Right. And, and there are a lot of movies that had I not worked at a blockbuster and had unlimited access to, to rentals that I may, may have never have seen. Like, uh, in, in particular, the Koyanis Katsi. Like, if I had never worked at Blockbuster, I would have never rented the Koyanis Katsi repeatedly over and over and over and sat there and got baked out of my mind watching Koyanis Katsi for hours and hours on end. I don't even know what that, that is. That is probably my favorite memory. Of Dan, how did you know my plans for after this podcast? You know... <laughs> we're we're borging. We're borging is what we're doing. I don't even know what we the Kayana's Katsi is. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so bizarre and fantastic. It's basically uh, an entire film fundamentally made up of really dramatic stock footage. And, and they're kind of like edited together in a very artful way. And it's got this sort of epic swooning Philip glass score that it's set to. And then the whole thing has this chanting it. Koyanis Katsi, I think is a Navajo word. And uh, they have the throughout the whole movie, along with the score as these like stock footage, but it's not like stock footage, like from factories and stuff. It's like stock footage of the Saturn five launching and, and stuff like that. And they have this this chanting, this uh, like Navajo chanting throughout the whole thing. It's a perfect movie to get baked out of your mind and stare at for three hours. It's that's sounds, what it's made for. It sounds like a student film. You should you should see it. No, you should see it. I have heard like, about it, but I have not like, watched it. We should all watch it. It's yeah. like a student. It's in in essence like something you'd expect a student film to be, but made to a level of quality of professionalism and quality that makes it transcendent. Yeah, you know what's something that just made me think of like that along those lines is that both when I went to the library as a kid and also the video store that was local to us closest, which was a lion video, not a blockbuster. There were in both places, there was a very gory book and a very gory film in both places that these were those times where you just couldn't own everything or it wasn't mm. available. And I would rush to the library to like rent or to rent to take out this book again before my neighbor did because it was this creepy gory book and i wanted to like have it and i'd be like haha beat you to the library after school i got the book again and it was like why couldn't we have just found this book and purchased it already because we kept taking it out of the library but then there was also a film called the faces of gore something along those lines faces of death yeah where it's yeah, actually real, really real like people gory, dying. Horrible. Yeah. yeah. And all the boys would go to Lion Video and like try to take it out before the next person so that they could have the movie for the weekend and watch the gory movie. And, you know, again, we're like lazy. We get whatever we want with the press of a button these days. And that made it kind of exciting. Like I need to get it before this person. And there was that, again, that physical element yeah. going to a place and getting a physical item. And there, there was sort of a sense of exclusivity about yeah. the media that we consumed where, where it was like, I watched this movie 
that nobody has heard of and nobody cares about. And now it's like that, that kind of thing almost doesn't exist anymore because everything is easily accessible. There's no exclusivity to it. And now everybody is always like, oh, well, Dan, have you seen the latest this and that? And then Dan has to feel like, oh, yeah, it's on my list. Uh, I'm going to watch it next weekend. Like we're pressuring each other to watch garbage. We don't even want to be watching half the time. Like well, the Tiger King, which I haven't oh, seen yes. yet. But like, like, do we need to pressure people to watch garbage like that? When people at work were talking about it, I was like, and why is this? Okay, I guess I'll tune in. But then I did and I was like, if this wasn't pandemic times, I wouldn't have wasted my freaking yeah, time. I, <laughs> I watched I watched Tiger King like right as it hit because it it, it hit right at the time that it was one of those times where it's like I fired up Netflix and I didn't have anything in particular in mind to watch. And, it, and Netflix was like, you should watch this. And I was like, this doesn't sound interesting, but I'm going to watch it. And I started watching it and like, no, it's not good. Yeah. But within the first 15 minutes of the first episode it, it was like i this is so bizarre this you is could, so bizarre and i'm gonna watch it because it makes <laughs> no sense it's bizarre these people can't possibly be real and then the more i started watching it it was like i could have interviewed to work at that place that <laughs> might that might be where, where this might be about that you know yeah yeah i mean when you have that connection to something it's always but interesting but i also think like that's the kind of thing like i didn't even find it that strange and the fact that people at work were like these people are nuts and you won't believe it i'm watching it going i know weirder people than this <laughs> <laughs> obviously you don't know strange people because i know yeah. strange people. you know what always what about you what's your whole thing with blockbuster like, like what do you miss about it you know i, I there's a couple of things i miss uh one thing I miss um, is being able to go and browse the, you know, the, the aisles and find something that I would never find anywhere else. Right. Like there, that was there, that, that aspect of it was there. Also the, the idea that I don't have to go to facets that I can go and watch mm. something really kind of obscure. Cause that's possible. It, it doesn't always happen you know but it's possible like i might be able to go into the film noir section if that blockbuster mm. happens to have a film noir section and pick out something you know yeah um, but uh that i miss that and and shamefully the other thing i miss is the the gummy bears they oh. had they had they, the yeah they had they the had best that. gummy bears and they but had you some can get I remember they, those too they yeah. they're haribo is what they were. Yeah, you, can, you can get them. You can still. You can get, get them at the dollar store. Yeah, no, I don't think they're the same anymore. They're chew yes, they're those harder, chewy ones yeah. that aren't like super soft and fat. They're yeah. tighter. Oh no, they're the good. They're the Haribo ones for sure. Yeah, I don't you know. Get them. Well, there's yeah. that and the raisinets. I would get that. Oh, raisinets. Oh, raisinets. Oh, oh come on. What is it? You know what? You know what? My favorite candy was, and everybody favorite movie candy. Snowcaps. Uh, Good and plenties. Really? No way. Not <laughs> she's so no, not, disappointed. Yeah, good and plenty. <laughs> she she looks so disappointed at you. She's but, like, really? <laughs> I mean, they we don't. I don't I, get the appeal. Please I love black deal. licorice. I love black <laughs> licorice, and Ew. then it has like the sweet candy around it. I loved good and plenties. Loved them. I didn't know it was licorice. Ew. 
Yeah, uh, man. I, like, I don't know why people don't like licorice. Kids for the movies, but like we would sneak candy in. My mom was a big proponent of. Oh sure. Let's hit the candy shop beforehand. Hide it in your pockets. Don't talk oh. to anybody. Oh, dude, I had a I had a movie theater, a special movie theater coat I used to wear that had a pocket <laughs> on the inside big enough to fit a two liter of coke. Like it's a Kevin Smith coat. And, like there was more more than once, more than once, I went into a movie theater with like an entire McDonald's value meal. Like, <laughs> packed in. You know what? Fries. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not joking. Like I got the fries. I got. I got like two Big Macs. <laughs> I got the the super size Coke in the pocket, you know. More and more See, disappointment. Like, we talked about this before. I don't like eating in a movie theater. When I hear people chomping on stuff, I want to slap them in the face because it's distracting me from the movie. But like candy, as long as you opened it beforehand, so you're not rustling around like the old lady behind you who's all like opening her packet as the main important scene is happening. Like as long as I opened it up beforehand and just snacked on it, I was fine with that. But I, I can't see a big Mac and fries meal happening. <laughs> More than once, man, more wow. than once. But that also concerns me. What other things could people be bringing in the movie theaters? If you were able to fit a two liter in your coat. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sometimes I just don't need the, I like to go see a movie. I like to stare at the screen. I want everyone else to be paying attention and shutting the fuck up. I went to see Scream 2 and I think I might've told the story before, but not on a podcast, but basically we were just surrounded by people wearing the masks and oh. we were in a bad neighborhood, like for where I was seeing oh. this film and not being able to see people's faces and they're climbing over seats and jumping around and yelling. I was getting really paranoid and I was completely oh, sure. sober and I was like, I don't want to be here. And the, one guy was like jumping over like aisles and coming towards us at one point. And I was like, I didn't sign up for this. Like the whole movie I was sitting there, like, is someone going to kill me? And if you recall, that is the movie where Jada Pinkett Smith gets killed in the theater while watching a movie about yep. the other movie. And I was just like, Oh, fuck this. I'm yeah. <laughs> I just like to watch a movie. I don't need like an immersive experience experience i don't yeah. need my seat to vibrate i just want to watch the goddamn movie that's all i want me and my I wife think... we went to the first deadpool movie and we saw it at hollywood boulevard and i don't know if they were staff or volunteers or who they were but there was like 10 deadpool people like 10 people dressed up as deadpool and they had like a little parade and they climbed up onto the stage before the movie and they had this whole thing and i actually have a picture with these people like they lined up next to us like me and my wife and we took a picture there's a giant selfie of me and like like 20 deadpools i think there's two of them were girls <laughs> it's just like it's just that you know what's i don't know it's weird too like i i love movies so much but like i'm not a person who's ever taken like the shot of my whole family at the theater you know how people take shots like we're at the movies yeah i've never once in my life taken a picture at the movies that i'm aware of no none no none. no i, I do it no. all the time no. I, I can't wait you're like hey get all the dead pulls over here right yes now. yes yes i can't wait till I can go to watch a movie. I was tempted to go see a movie recently because Dan told me about I did it. go see a movie and the uh, I went to see a movie for only one reason. You can log in and you know try to go to buy your tickets online in advance and see if it's yeah. packed. And it was not. So like I went to see nobody with there were three mm -hmm. other people in the movie theater and we weren't sitting anywhere near each other. 
and it was a totally bizarre experience i loved it. it was so good to go and see a movie again it was so awesome you're tempting me now because i i've done the same thing at the theater near me and i've looked at where the seats yeah. are and i'm like there's no one and half yeah. the time the theater by me it caters to kids and people who mm -hmm. like action films so when they have that one more artsy movie no one goes anyway because that's not what anyone in this neighborhood wants to watch so sometimes it's really even pre-covid it's yeah. not packed at all. So that makes me feel a little more comfortable thinking about going by myself. Yeah. To see a movie. And I mean, it wasn't just that my movie wasn't packed. Like there weren't other people in the theater, you know, yeah. there, Jesus. It, was, it was empty. And so, I mean, that was cool. But at the same time, it's like the whole time I just couldn't get out of my head of a, everything about this is wrong. I shouldn't be here right now. You know, yeah. kind of. No, I, I, I imagine I'd feel the same, especially since I've been telling people I've been, you know, I've been safe and I don't want to then be like, hey, I've been going to the movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I usually go to the movies with my mom or alone anyway. Most of my mm -hmm. friends don't have the schedules where we can see stuff. So I have been a big proprietor of like um, someone that Edgar and I work with now. I'm always telling her I'm waiting for the day when you go see a movie by yourself because she's not done it. And she's like kind of like awkward about oh, it. And I'm I like, you will feel so good. You don't have to yeah. wait for someone else's opinion on what to see, which yep. I never did anyway. You don't have to wait for the right time. Go whenever the hell you want. I it's have so great. always loved going to a movie by myself. I've always yeah. loved it. I've always thought it was just such a great experience. Um, and also you can talk about the movie with friends or family after the fact you shouldn't yeah. be discussing it during the movie so why do you have to be with anyone else i get like we've talked about edgar you know bigger like family movies and getting to laugh with people around you and all that kind of stuff but sometimes you just want to go by yourself see the movie think about it and then you can chat with people later hey i saw this you did too let's talk about it there mm. you go that I, I usually go with someone. I think I've only gone by myself maybe a handful of times in my but whole you're life. You're not afraid to. I'm not afraid to. Um, but I've always had someone with me. Yeah. Uh, for the most part. But uh, you have more friends than I do, Edgar. Well, no, it, it's hard for us too because like all my friends are dad friends, you know? So like they're mm. all. Well, all my friends have families now. So it's like a good chance getting anybody to go to a movie with you. Yeah. Well, guys, I, I'm, I, I think like... we're approaching like uh, <laughs> Oh, God, Edgar, I need to eat food like you have no idea. Yeah, like, I, I have not even had lunch today, so it's probably time for me to eat a meal. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, we got like two and a half hours. Uh, I think, uh... well, thanks so much, guys, for coming on. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Thank you, Not My Cousin Dan. Hey, are we going to call her Not My Cousin Emily, or are we? <laughs> I asked that last time. Yeah, you, you, you wanted to do that. I, I... You know what would be funnier is if, if I was your cousin, Emily, when I'm definitely not your cousin. <laughs> I could say yeah. you're my cousin. Yeah, there we go. No, that works. We can have not my cousin, Dan, and definitely not my cousin, Emily. Yeah. I, I kind of like being a one-word person. It makes me sound like Cher. I like Cher, yeah. I think Emily is fine. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Emily. And thanks so much, not my cousin, Dan. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. The song you're listening to is called Free Tonight by Zach, and you can find that over at Epidemic Sound. And just to remind you, I have my referral link for Epidemic Sound. You click on that and the show gets a kickback for every sign up or purchase you make at Epidemic Sound. And don't you forget that I also have the 
Flow World Podcast website where you can listen to the rest of our content and shop at our store. We are also on Instagram as The Flow Road. And if you like the podcast, make sure you go like, subscribe, comment, and do all the things and press all the buttons that make the podcast gods happy. Man, you know, always lots of fun, always so good to, you know, just sit around and chat and laugh with my friends. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Bye.